got a mic. Big mics. Mike's hard. We bought a mic. Lemonade. Which we don't have. We got Bacardi. We bought a mic. And Mojito Mix. And Coca-Cola. Thanks for the sponsorship. Wasting away again in Margaritaville. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to We Bought a Mic Late Night Edition. This Oof. this podcast is really about us. For a minute every week, we slowly become the greatest musicians on earth. It's an origin story. Yeah, and then the rest of the pod is just gravy, you know? People come for the I intros. I mean, people have told us before that they only listen to the intros and then they delete the podcast. That's But it gives us a view and that's all that matters. Yeah, I've, so definitely, that's all I care about. I've definitely heard that from almost everyone. I am Ernest Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley. And I'm post-Barry finale Drew Dietzen. He's fucked up. Fresh off it, literally out. just watched it. That's how committed I am to this pod. I oh. wait until the last second. Or you second. procrastinate. Yeah, you, you can look at it either way, <laughs> well, but let's okay. be positive So here. we're recording on a Monday, so... That means that we're actually going to be up to date with Barry and Westworld for yeah. the first time. And full disclosure, it's also 12.51 a.m. So we're like, <laughs> we're up to date with insomnia and I have to wake well, up at 7. 12.51 Eastern time, but it's only 9.51 Pacific time. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, that is a great point, which um, <laughs> Which we're not our... recording on that, but you know. Brings us to our news that we can just jump right into. Um, I want to run through these really quick so we can get to what we've been watching, um, including a review of the new film Tully, and we're talking the new Arctic Monkeys too. Mm -hmm. So let's jump into the news. Um, We're not diving into Legion this week too too much, but I want to give a shout out to Noah Hawley and uh, Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens signed on to Noah Hawley's upcoming project, Pale Blue Dot, and they're shooting this summer. Um, and I'm just really excited for this just because, like, Legion had a really, really great episode this week that was amazing. Like, talk about Twin Peaks vibes on that fucking episode. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of the Rick and Morty uh, Citadel episode. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Did you see it? I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, yeah, but like the whole idea of like multiple Ricks and Mortys. So like in this episode, you God. have multiple Legions. I multiple don't have Davids. time to watch Legion. I, I'm sorry, okay? <laughs> I feel like every time you so talk good. about it, you're rubbing it in my face because it sounds so well, fucking cool. This this news is more about the, the movie that's coming out. It's, uh, it's yeah. supposed to be Noah Hawley's directorial debut mm-hmm. and it stars... Um, Dan Stevens and uh, Natalie Portman and John Hamm is in there. He directs episodes uh, of Legion, right? He doesn't that much. So no. okay. yeah, he's mostly just a writer. Yeah. So yeah. yeah okay. So he, he does direct, write though. He directed a couple last season, but not. I don't think he has this season. Um, but I'm excited for him to make movies. He's signed on yeah. for a Doctor Doom movie. So okay. Wow, so you might be. On. When I first read Pale Blue Dot, I was thinking the. Um, Carl Sagan novel Pale Blue Dot which is non-fictional and very scientific this yeah. is not that it's something completely different well it's it's kind of that same idea science fiction like well yeah pa- pale, the Pale Blue Dot is still earth That's yeah the- <laughs> exactly pa- Pale Blue Dot is the famous photograph that the astronauts took of the earth from the moon you know like, or like I think earth it was rise. I think it was even taken from a spacecraft that was farther out than the moon okay it, yeah because it's, it's like way in the distance it's just the idea of like seeing the entire 
human population yeah. in a tiny circle in yeah. front of you. So, yeah, I'll read the description verbatim since we don't need to be creative here. Uh, it centers on a married astronaut who is played by Natalie Portman, who returns to Earth after a mission and begins an affair with a fellow astronaut. She heads into a downward spiral, blah, 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 blah. Um, I'm I'm interested in this because... Mostly because uh, maybe if this is really good, I won't need to watch Legion because it'll be like, oh, I know Noah Hawley. Yeah. Yeah, me and him, like, I watch his show. Well, did watch you ever thing. watch any of Fargo? Uh, show? I watched a little bit of it. That's that's really fucking good. I, I mean, there's a strong argument to be made that Fargo is better than Legion because Fargo's an amazing show. Like, this dude is super talented, and I think he can do really good things in the feature film Is this department. an adaptation, or is it original? Pale Blue Dot? Yeah. I think it's original. Well, he didn't write the first draft of the screenplay. I think it was passed down from yeah, someone that, else. Yeah, that happens a lot. It. Um, okay, well, so then we'll get to see uh, how he handles some more, you know, less less based on something content. Right, right. Any, you got any, any thoughts on this, Hunter? No, I mean, I'm really excited for it. I'm excited for anything that Noah yeah. Hawley will do. Um, and that I, Doctor Doom movie. I've seen uh, season one of Fargo, and I loved it. Um, I haven't watched uh, season two or season three, just because it's kind of, it's the true detective thing where they have different characters yeah. come in. Two is amazing. Yeah, I've heard that, and I, I really have needed to get around to it. I just haven't really in, had much in time. In my to... opinion, two is like a near masterpiece. Wow. Yeah. Um, Speaking of masterpiece, though, Jordan Peele has announced his next movie. And it's crazy that this is news because all he did is announce the movie. Yeah, he just put out like it was like a poster, like yeah, a photograph. There's just no cast. Jordan Peele, U.S. March 2019. Yeah. And that well, was all that us. we got. Us. Us, yeah. Or U.S.? Yeah. Or both? Whoa. Does he said if it's going to be like another horror movie or what exactly yeah, is Yeah, a he? new nightmare from Visionary George, from Academy Award winner. Jordan Peele. Wow. So the cast is rumored to include um, the dude Umbaku from Black Panther. I forgot nice, his name. Nice. Winston Duke. Um, I forgot who else is, is in talks, but there's no one signed on yet. All we know is that there's a release date, and then it's called Us. I mean, get out, mate. I, of course, I watched Key and Peele and stuff like all the time wherever it was on. I thought that that was one of the smartest shows on TV. It kind of filled the whole the void left by the Chappelle show or yeah. the Chappelle show left is that kind of really smart social uh, comedy kind of um, yeah but get out is on another exactly level yeah no that's what I was gonna say is that get out honestly I think that when people look back um, I mean get out wasn't necessarily my favorite movie from last year I think that I put it at number two yeah. um, but I think that 2017 is going to be remembered as the year that get out came out that was definitely the most relevant movie that came out i think that that's that movie was just on another level as far as directing acting writing it was overall like nearly perfect any last thoughts on this drew uh no okay well (laughs) let's get to this next bit of news this is pretty crazy rick and morty is coming back with 70 new episodes confirmed by adult swim also confirmed by Dan Harmon in the shower. Yeah. Did so you guys see that video? I didn't see the video. No. I saw the I saw Justin Roiland post about it. I don't I don't believe that we should be 
completely convinced that there are going to be 70 more episodes of Rick and Morty. I think that's a bit absurd. I I, think that that just means that Adult Swim has said, hey, if you guys have 70 more episodes in you, then we'll let you make them. It was, it was, that's what I'm imagining. It was more of like a goodwill thing where Adult Swim was like, you're good to go. They were like, as as many as you want to make, you can make. What do you want to commit to right now? And they were like 70. And Dan Harmon and Justin Rowland to a lesser extent are entirely notorious for being uh very flaky with shit like this uh i just don't i don't see the need to look this far into the future that's like that's like five more we're seasons talking at least at so. least five i mean the first two seasons were 10 episodes each yeah so. well that'd be seven more yeah if that's the case yeah like i'd be really happy if there were 70 more episodes i'd be like that would be great but i'm not gonna start celebrating right now that seems like kind of counting your i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't celebrate anyways just because i think season three took a serious dip in quality i know we talked about it last year whenever it came out I oh mean, yeah it was still one of the best things on tv but comparing it to the entire show it definitely dropped in quality in season three i yeah i just don't think that that drop was drastic enough to warrant like any red flags or anything no i mean it wasn't and i understand they were trying to do something different by making it a little bit more of a overarching plot kind of show i just don't think that that necessarily worked i'm kind of hoping that in season four they get back to their roots a little bit and just go back to one-offs yeah just one-off episodes that was where the show excelled at yeah all right well one last bit of news. Let's uh, let's have a moment of silence for all of the shows that were canceled this past week. It was a bloodbath, guys. And then not canceled anymore? Yeah. yeah. So Brooklyn Nine-Nine came through. A- NBC came through for Brooklyn yeah, Nine-Nine. So, yeah, Fox went and canceled Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Last Man on Earth. And Brooklyn Nine-Nine has a really, really big uh, millennial following. Like, the main demographic, the 18 to 35, that's who watches Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Consequentially, that's why it got canceled, because no one watches it live, because it's millennials. They watch it on... It's on Hulu, I believe. So it doesn't get the ratings. Yeah, it doesn't get ratings. It makes sense that it would get canceled, but... Last Man on Earth is also a good show, but it just doesn't have... It's way more niche. It doesn't have yeah. that much of a following in any demographic. We, we used to keep up with that show. Yeah, we used, really I good. just kind of fell off. There are too many episodes per season. I think that, that was something that really started to hurt the show. Yeah. In season one, it worked because I feel like they had a better idea of mm-hmm. what to do in season one. But then season two, I don't even know if I actually finished season two just because it just like it felt like one of those things where it was kind a three-episode arch. And I was like, yeah, we could wrap this up in 20-minute yeah. episode. It, it had a really specific sensibility that got kind of tiresome in which every single it kind of had the new girl problem where every episode runs on will forte fucking up and being shitty and then getting some kind of redemption at the end of it just like zoe deschanel and new girl but even to a farther extent like he is unforgivably shitty and then he's fine by the end it was still a good show however brooklyn 99 has a much better following because i would say it's probably a better show it's also a lot more conventional in a lot of ways um, and there was a huge outcry online for Brooklyn Nine-Nine uh, to the point that Sol- Guillermo del Toro was tweeting about it. Yeah. Um, just Lin-Manuel. Yeah, Lin-Manuel, who's like, I think he's been on that show. I'm not sure. But I think he's definitely been involved with it um, personally. He just hangs out with yeah, those and people. So, and uh, and the, the stars of it are huge online you know they have big followings as well, specifically Chelsea Peretti and Andy Samberg. Um, and so 
it got picked up like people listen partially due to the outpouring of support for it and then also just because michael sure those those nbc connections. yeah there's nbc connections there with mike sure he produces the show he was i think he was co-creator of it so like it's and it's just more of a natural fit for NBC. It's it's not really a Fox my, show. My favorite thing on Twitter though is people realizing how good Brooklyn Nine Nine is when it, it it like it was canceled for like a full day. Yeah, and then it wasn't until the next day that it got picked up. Yeah, so no. for that day, everyone was like, "Oh my god, this show!" Like yeah. nobody watched it, and it was amazing. There, yeah, there was some specific clips getting shared that are really special because this the show has really special moments. I'm not big enough of a fan to watch it, but I think it's a good show. It's, I, I kept up with like the first three seasons, yeah. like every episode, it's, and then I fell off. Yeah, it's a good show. I like I've said before. I think I'd put it around the same level as New Girl, yeah. where it's not going to reach the level of like Prime, like The Office, Parks and Rec, but it's it's up there. It's pretty good. Do you think it's going to find life on NBC, or is I it mean, probably going to be the final? What it's like five se- seasons in, right? So well, like, this will be six. On yeah. NBC. So I mean, life is just two more seasons, really. If that, yeah, because it should end at a certain point. Yeah. So like, it's just a victory that it got picked back up at all, so they can. And kind of wrap things up neat and tidy um but yeah no that it you know it made me happy overall to see this happen like it there are certain moments in that show that i think are incredible one the main clip that was getting shared as a defense for why it should get picked up is a cold open with the police lineup you know the one yeah, i'm talking about I saw that, yeah. that is that is as good as comedy writing gets like it's really really good i, I literally laughed out loud like yeah. it was it was so funny it's that. yeah it's a really silly like absurd show it doesn't the reason it's not as good as uh parks and rec and the office in my opinion is it does not get emotionally deep if it does it's for about a second and then there's a joke yeah. it's just zany yeah it's just it's more off the wall yeah. it's more zany but it's a good show and it R- deserves to live r.i.p last man on earth though and r.i.p so many other shows like we could have a whole podcast about network tv and how f- quickly they burn through these things you know they're yeah. they're already announcing pilots for fall season that are probably gonna get canceled after and like what's what's so unbelievable to me is that is just how slow and behind these networks are that they aren't able to realize hey these things have like a following but they're just not watching them live like people are watching it they're streaming it through other things it's getting this huge mass of people watching it but just because they're not watching it live doesn't mean like it warrants being canceled and that's something that I don't understand that network t- networks haven't been able to realize at this point. Especially with Hulu, because a lot of these networks have stake in Hulu. Like, yeah. they have access to the numbers. Well, I mean, the thing is, uh, and I've, I've read, there was a really good interview with um, Andy Richter from Conan, where he shed a lot of light on this. There's just, networks are having a hard time understanding that the pie is just smaller now it's it's as big but there's so many segments of it that like even if it's doing well comparatively it's making half the money that it used to in the old days it's what you were saying i don't know about last week or the week before about how these shows have to compete compete with every other show ever that's a part of it and then also they're just competing with shows that are online now Mm. like permanently there's just so much to go around yeah that's what i'm saying Yeah. yeah yeah that like it's just not it's it's not as profitable as it once was and they're having a hard time adjusting their business model because obviously like if you're an executive who's just looking at numbers you're looking at your own numbers you're looking at the money you're making and you're saying this show isn't raking in enough money to sustain my salary you know i'm probably gonna try to get back into brooklyn 99 because if if this means it's gonna end you know and it's gonna get one final go around 
then might as well see it through because yeah. it's a really good show. It, it deserves to to be seen. Um, but let's move on to what we've been listening to. We have new music out this week, guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, new, new music, and I went to a concert last night. And I oh, briefly talk about. What did you see? Um, well. Oh, you want to go into this first? Or the yeah, new music? yeah just... Okay. Um, so last night, um, I got a chance to see. Uh, they're like kind of a pop punk legend at this point. The band called The Wonder Years. Yeah. Oh, I'm. Um, uh, yeah, I'm very familiar. I have a coworker who every single day tells me. To oh, yeah. I them. mean, they're a little bit of an older band. Um, that's why the show was mostly like dads there. But it was. <laughs> I saw one get. It was uh, a dad and his son, and both of them were just jamming the fuck out, yeah. and it was really cool. But um. I just wanted to talk about, I never talked about it in the podcast, but they had an album that came out earlier this year called Sister Cities, which is really, really good pop punk. Like, it's kind of seems almost like a relic from times past, mm. and some people will criticize that for it, but I like that they aren't just trying to reinvent themselves and trying to go overly poppy and stuff like a lot of bands have tried to do, like Blink-182 specifically, and it ends up just coming out like shit. Um but yeah, they had an album come out this year, Sister Cities. It was a really, really solid pop punk album. But really, I just wanted to talk about the concert overall. Um, Did they play a, a stuff from The Upsides? That uh, was the only album I ever got into. I they did they played a couple of the big songs. My favorite album by The Wonder Years is The Greatest Generation. Um, that is a really good. album. I think front to back, that yeah. album is fucking amazing. Like I really, really love that album. Um, and I just kind of started getting into them recently because uh, my girlfriend Gaia got super into them um, a few months ago. And we realized they were coming into town and it kind of just lined up perfectly. So um, they played, uh, and specifically I wanted to shout out uh, The Greatest Generation, my favorite song by them, They're There. Fantastic song, like really, really catchy, pop punk, smashy in your face. Um, but I also just really wanted to shout out uh, the band uh, Tiny Moving Parts. This was uh, one open. of the few, yeah. This was one of the few concerts where I think there wasn't a single bad set. Usually, you always go to concerts, and there's at least one band that you're like, "All right, guys, can we like wrap this up? I'm ready to get on to like the headliner, whoever else." And um, the first band that played was this uh, smaller band uh, called the Warriors. Um, uh, female lead singers, they were really good. But Tiny Moving Parts was the next band that played, and this is a band I had never heard of before, but they fucking killed it. Like I was, I am a fan now after seeing them live, which isn't something that happens all too often. Usually live settings aren't always the best, especially for pop punk because you know, mixing isn't always best at these clubs that you go to Where and you can't you really, him? uh, the Beecham. Okay. Uh, yeah. Beecham, the, the, and I'm at, the sound is very shaky. There so, sometimes. uh, the opener, the warriors, I really like them, but you could tell they used the house, uh, the house's roadie on it. So like, I was a little bit worried about the show after that point because you could barely hear the vocals. Mm. The band itself was like good, but it was just overbearingly loud and not in a good way. Um, tiny moving parts. I'm pretty sure they had their own roadie working the system because I could hear every, it was a trio, um, three guys. And they kind of, if I was going to compare them to anybody, it would be old Taking Back Sunday mixed with a little bit of foxing. They really were giving me, like, especially the dude's voice, sounds kind of a lot like Taking Back Sunday, which oh, I was instantly into. Say they, no they more. Do, they do have the two singers kind of going back and forth with each other, like old Taking Back Sunday Yeah, I, I was a big old Taking Back Sunday fan. Oh, yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I really want to give them a shout out. Uh, the next band that played Tiger's Jaw was, uh, they were pretty good. Um, I know a lot of my friends are really into Tiger's Jaw and I never really got into them. Um, they had Same. a good set, but I wasn't nearly as into them as I was into Tiny Moving Parts. And then the Wonder Years, it's kind of incredible that these guys are as old as they are. They've been playing music for forever and they still like put on a great set. They were very lively out there. Guy was out there like making little jokes, doing little like quirky bits. And it just seemed like they were really, really into the music, which isn't something that you always get from bands that have been playing for two decades at this point. I was so into their old shit when I was when I was younger. Like they have an album, their first album um is called uh Get Stoked on It and that album unfortunately is not on Spotify, but I recommend everyone goes and checks it out. It's really raw. It's from 2007. Great great album. Like I remember loving every song on that. Mm-hmm. And then their follow-up, their second album, The Upsides also amazing yeah the album. upsides is a really good yeah. album and even their third album suburbia i've given you all and now i'm nothing i remember loving that album too and then once the greatest generation came out i, I was like I, I was still digging it but i was kind of moving on and listening to other stuff yeah i mean i if you've ever listened to their stuff sister cities kind of sounds a little bit their older sound except you can kind of tell he's he's kind of grown up a little bit and Things that he's singing about, I mean, you can tell, like, uh, their singer, uh, Dane Campbell is his name. Um, He's a guy who suffers from depression and, like, severe anxiety and kind of all this stuff. Like, um, in the song, They're There, like, one of the the refrains of the song is just, like, I'm awkward and nervous, I'm awkward and nervous. And that's, like, kind of the whole vibe (laughs) that they give off, which is going to turn some people off. But, I mean, we listen to the fucking front bottom, so I'm... I want to him just laying his heart on the line like that. Um, another song that was beautifully performed there was a song called The Devil in My Bloodstream, which is kind of about how everybody in his family, like he kind of has a history of suicide and severe Damn. depression. It's kind of this kind of coming to grips with learning to accept this and move on and try and uh, make the best of what you can. Well, was it fun though? <laughs> no, um, I no, it wasn't. No, it was horrible. No, I, I mean, I couldn't hear shit for like. <laughs> still, I can't really hear very much right now. Beep. Yeah, I still have that ringing in my ears. Okay, well, that's the Wonder Years live on tour. Catch them now if you can. Um, now let's talk about a little band that I like to call the Arctic Monkeys. So I like they, to call them that as well. Sometimes, so sometimes they. Just put or out just a new Alex album. Turner's solo project based on the new album. They always yeah. were. Honestly, that's a take that I will stand by, uh, and we can get the discussion started because Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino should have been an Alex Turner solo album because he produced it and he really comes off as like the main creative force on this record. Yeah. I mean, there is, yeah, there's something to be said with, like, this is a more production-heavy album than any other Arctic Monkeys album, so it's going to be more, like, less band-oriented. But the fact has always been that Alex Turner is the only one who writes for Arctic Monkeys. Even when they were, like, more of a band band and they had more stuff going on instrumentally, he's always been the guy. If you, like, read into, the, like, their past. He was kind of telling everyone else what to he, play. He, he is the composer and writer of right. Arctic Monkeys. He, he always has been. And so the journey like to to now has always been the alex turner journey well what do you think of the album it's okay when i started out it's a flawed album i don't 
I'm never going to like it. Like certain bands, you know, when the music you listen to in high school kind of just hits you in a certain spot that can never be replicated. Um, and Artie Monkeys is one of those bands for me where it's just, it hit me at a time where I was impressionable, like with the shit I was absorbing. And so their old stuff, and it was, it also happens to be like incredibly good and it holds up, but it's always going to hold a special place. Um, this album is very interesting. I think it's probably the most interesting Arctic Monkeys album. Yeah, I, I think I'm gonna say what I think what you're thinking. This album is fucking boring. I don't think how many so. times have you I think it, to it twice. Okay. Um, right. This album is there's no radio hit on this album. Yeah, I don't. Four out of five is the only one that comes close. Yeah, and yeah. then maybe the the title track. I actually think based the, Hotel the, title, the title track is one of the weaker tracks. I I think this album is actually really good, but when I first heard it, I thought it was horrible. <laughs> when I first, I was yeah. so bummed. I was like, this doesn't sound well, like Arctic Monkeys at all. The thing is, this is what I was expecting partially because if, I mean, every interview with Alex Turner in the past five years, you can tell he's kind of burnt out musically. Um, and you could even kind of hear that on AM, even though it was like a huge commercial smash for them. And it like made their big break in America, even though it was like eight years into their career. It was a lot slower and it was a lot less interesting than any of their other albums. Um, and this album, I think I appreciate. I didn't really love it at first, but there were there are a few songs that I genuinely do like. And they're stuck yeah, in my head. There's like, some, as, there are songs in my head from this album as we speak. There are also a standout few, tracks. Yeah, there are also a few songs that I never want to hear again. Um, like there are a few, probably like toward the back half of the album, but before the very end, there are songs that are so skippable, like they might as well not be there. Yeah, yeah like the last four tracks or so. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I mean, this is a slower album. Um, and it was composed, um, as opposed to every other Arctic Monkeys album. This album was composed by Alex on a piano, not a guitar. Um, and you can definitely hear that in the way it sounds. I hear a lot of parallels between this album and Jack White's solo work where it's like, like a weird, bizarro, like partially a little psychedelic ballad rock. Um, and there's like things that I definitely like in that. Um, I just, I think that it didn't come together like I wanted to. There are some songs in this, like probably more than half of the songs where I'm listening to certain parts of it. And I'm like, yes, like the verse of a certain song. I'll be like, this is incredible. I've never heard anything like this before. It's really interesting. It's kind of thought out. And then the entire song as a whole, I'm just not on that level with like, yeah, it's just, it's kind of disparate. Like here and there, there are things that are so good, but overall it's just and even, not quite Even there. with the lyrics, like sometimes you'll hear something really profound and like Alex finding a way to voice his inner insanity in a really creative way. But then another, like in another instance, probably in the same song, you'll be like, what the fuck are you saying, dude? I mean, I the think the side boob of the moon. Yeah. Okay. The moon so side boob. What the fuck? Yeah. So, <laughs> To that point, I do think that there are a couple profound lyric moments, but I think for the most part, I found the lyrics on this album incredibly pretentious. Uh, specifically, just like, you tell me you never see Blade Runner, like shit like that. And I'm just like, fucking cool. Like, it feels like Alex Turner kind of made this album thinking to himself, well, you know what? I'm just going to 
do whatever I want and people are still going to listen to it. I'm which write I mean, some random words. And like, <laughs> I guess sometimes that works. I think the biggest crime on this album, and it happened a little bit on AM too, but Matt Helders has just been just fucking subdued to playing like jazz club, yeah. like Matt, easy jazz club Matt Helders music, is the drummer of Arctic Monkeys. Who was... At one point in time, like one of the best drummers yeah. that I had ever heard, like especially still, yeah. like in the modern rock scene, and he does nothing unique or special in this album. And I'm not blaming him for that. I'm blaming the songs themselves that don't allow him to do anything yeah. aside from playing Starbucks jazz music. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Instrumentally, it's it's not. That's not what this album is about. This album is more about the production. And like I was saying, that's that speaks to like the desperation where like there's certain sounds in this album that just like move me. Like there's. Even in one song, there's just like a little thing where he, there are four notes on like a slide guitar. And I'm like, holy shit, that sounds so cool. But then the song as a whole, I don't think sounds I so think I cool. know what song you're talking about. Yeah. And I can't remember uh, if it's American Sports or which song it is. But I do remember really liking that aspect. I think that you are right on something where there are certain aspects of the song that you like. But overall, it just doesn't come together well. well and the lyrics for me were honestly one of the weakest parts. Like... I read the whole because uh, they released the first line for Star Treatment, where it's just like I just wanted to be one of the Strokes. Yeah, now look what you've made me do, or something oh, like yeah. that. And it's like those things that you read it and you're like, ha ha ha. But then you like hear it in the song with this like sad mopiness, and it's just it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Okay. This album really rubbed me yeah. the wrong way. I'll I'll probably disagree with that because I I really like for the most part the the lyrics of the album. Um, I'm a big Alex Turner lyrics fan. I think that the problem for me is the way that they're delivered now because his voice sounds ashy. His voice sounds like he needs some lotion in his throat. <laughs> like he, I mean, and that's kind of the entire vibe of the album is he's been veering in this direction. I mean, for a long time, if you kind of look at their entire discography of like weird, bizarre, like lounge singer crooner stuff. Um, for some reason, that's just where he wants to go. And part of me really appreciates that because like they they had their big debut and they had the album after that um, with Fluorescent Adolescent on it, which was also Favorite a massive hit in England. Nightmare. Yeah. And they did very well commercially in England. And then after that with Humbug, he was, you know, he set this precedent of I don't really care what you want. Like, I don't I don't want to be like the biggest band or whatever. I just want to kind of write music. And that's still what he's doing. Like, this is just what he wanted to do. And I appreciate that more than I appreciate AM. Because it didn't strike me as that. But, I mean, after Humbug, you have Suck It and See, which I think it's arguably their best album. It's not my favorite. I think it's still Favorite Worst Nightmare is my favorite album. But Suck It and See is a fantastic album. Even AM, it still looks like Humbug kind of seemed like the low point in their career. And they kind of had an upward trajectory again. But I don't know if it was just the five-year absence, if it's the fact that Alex Turner has just been writing all this solo music that it's kind of leaked into the Arctic Monkeys persona. I just, if, and it feels weird to say because I know that I'm judging it on a scale compared to other Arctic Monkeys albums, but I feel like I might have liked this album more if it was just an Alex Turner joint. I totally agree with that because I don't think this is a bad album. I think that it just... It, it, it's kind of sore to my ears a little bit because I'm comparing it to the rest of the Arctic Monkeys discography. Like to me, that first album will never be topped. Well, the other, whatever I mean, people say I am like, that's their best album. Yeah, it, They're it, never going to match it that. It definitely is. I can't disagree with that. The, the thing is like, in addition to it being their best, like it's, 
almost impossible for rock music to have cultural impact at this point. Mm-hmm. And like this album was never going to have an effect the way that yeah. album did where it was like, oh, I guess like Britpop is a thing. And I guess like kind of like garagey, like punk is kind of alive a little bit. Like it had an effect on people. Uh, it it was actually their debut album was the fastest selling uh, debut album in history up to that point when it came out because Arctic Monkeys in were the US or the UK in the world. Oh, yeah. Um, it didn't even sell that well in the US, but Arctic Monkeys were the first uh, band to really successfully use MySpace to promote themselves. Yeah. They had such a huge presence that like their word of mouth online. Yeah, it was like the, it was the is this it of England and it was a huge deal. And like, I don't it's it's a weird like journey for Alex Turney to go to go on to have to live up to this moment that will never be replicated. Well, based on what you were just saying about, you know kind of kind of joining the the two points that you were making first you have the idea that we've been bringing up on the pod about rock music kind of dying and you have this band coming back after five years am was 2013 so not only is the hype building from the fans which is only setting them up for disappointment with a curveball like this mm-hmm. but then you think of like what this album really sounds like and you're saying it's like loungy and like laid it's back rock. and like ashy yeah. It really seems like they were trying to do something different because rock is dying and because it's like might as well do something fucking weird. And then I go back to thinking like, why not just call it an Alex Turner album? And the reason why is because Arctic Monkeys. Money. Like, yeah, yeah. Arctic yeah. Monkeys became a huge name with AM. They got a bank off of that. And I really appreciate the fact that they put an album together that really kind of took everyone by surprise like i really value that in this album the fact that they didn't put out any singles ahead of it and that it sounds completely different but from i mean anything what, else. what single would you i mean i guess four out of four five, out of five would be the only that's one. the only single yeah. type song that's even on yeah. the side and even that's not necessarily catchy in any way like i think it is it, it kind of gets stuck in your head but in a weird way because there are multiple songs on this album that like don't have choruses. It kind of just like it's Alex Turner doing like open mic uh, free verse poetry at and like I kind of like somewhere. That. I like that because I it, guess so. Maybe it it's, creates this. It creates this uh, kind of concept album sort of yeah, idea. Yeah, it here. is. It's a yeah. concept album. It's yeah. just like I think that one of the things that bummed me out, and I kind of set myself up for failure with this, was just that this was one of my most anticipated albums of the year. Exactly. I really that's, what was, I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I really was expecting. And Arctic I knew, Monkeys. They're, they're not going to go back to the classic first two album sound, but I was still thinking there was going to be something a little bit more in line with AM, which is it's very Are dark and gritty, but it's also catchy. Like at the same time, yeah. and, and this album isn't necessarily catchy. I would say with, it, on first listen to Tranquility, I was waiting for that like fast pace, like kind of hard distortion to kick in and it never does and i think that's why on first listen i really didn't like this album because i was i kept yeah, waiting I'm, for I'm that i'm still to gonna happen. give it a chance just because arctic monkeys i mean they were one of my favorite bands in the world for a while yeah, no, i mean this i mean my expectation is probably why i like it more probably more than you guys do because i i said on like last week's part of the pod before i was not looking forward to this at all because i had been reading interviews with alex turner and i could kind of see the trajectory where like he seemed burnt out checked out seemed like a guy who did like too much blow and too much alcohol and he got too rich too fast he got rich at age like 18 or something 
and he's just kind of out of gas. And I can see some more gas in this album. I see some interesting choices that I really could, like couldn't have predicted. You know, they're- I think that's the main idea here that at least they're trying something different, and they're they're not just like putting something together just to cash yeah. into the yeah it's the money. not yeah it's not like the strokes it's not like a fuck you to the record label yeah. there's there's artistry in this album it's a concept album i appreciate that i appreciate that they're not trying to recreate any type of magic they had in the past um i like this album i'm not gonna say i love it but i'm gonna keep listening to it like i like it enough for that which is more than i thought it would be considering that they are a 10 year old band and 10 year old bands usually don't do anything at all i admire it for how much it threw me for a loop i really (laughs) do like it it was such a curveball that i appreciate that an album of this like kind of hype was able to do that you know that it wasn't some small little indie whatever band it was fucking arctic monkeys that came out with such a curveball i really appreciate it for that yeah i mean music is one of those things that it always drastically changes first time listen you could hate a song then you get stuck in your head and you start listening to the album 50 times like I can tell I'm definitely the lowest on this album here, but who knows? It might make like my top 10 albums of the year once I keep listening to it over and over again. Just yeah. on the first initial couple listens, I'm I'm disappointed. All right, let's get to what we've been watching. So first of all, I want to say I watched Kid Gorgeous. Okay. Finally. Wow, great. Um, and Do you want to like talk about it or something? Well, let's. I'm going to throw up a uh, overall spoiler blanket over this whole what we've been watching discussion so we're gonna talk atlanta barry westworld um if you want you can, you can tread lightly skip around tread um, lightly you know scroll down to those uh timestamps in the description but tread lightly because we're gonna we're gonna be getting into some some details in here uh if you want just skip ahead to our tully review and we'll have a spoiler free section before the spoilers down there yeah okay so, so let's okay, talk about some of, some of the bits in this special because yeah now we can get into specifics i'm so glad that you guys didn't spoil this for me yeah right that 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 horse in the hospital bit (laughs) is one of the best things i've heard in comedy in a long time it's one i think it's the most genius way to refer to donald trump like so poignant and so smart Mm -hmm. and like not crass or rude in any way that's the thing it managed to not be like even that daring of a bit at all even though it's a political bit (laughs) in the most like toxic political time yeah like that's i mean that's what he was trying to do he mentioned in the special that he's like an anxious guy he likes to make everyone happy and he managed to like have a political bit which is really bold for for john mulaney and it was an incredible bit and it wasn't like gonna turn that many people away very impressive i loved it and then you know, going back to the idea of rewatching this, like there's so much to pick out. It's so dense. Like yeah, there's I've, jokes I've, that he just throws away like they're nothing. I've honestly, I've watched this special about four times now, and you keep like, getting like times. little yeah, bits. Yeah, and yeah, I mean that's one of the things that all Mulaney. Because actually, this past week I rewatched New in Town and Comeback Kid. Um, mm-hmm. and Mulaney is just he has I think like the most rewatchable of all of his comedy specials just because it's a very dense hour of comedy where there's so much in there little one-off jokes that you completely yeah. miss because you're laughing at the joke that just happened well he's, he's not doing any of the cheap stuff either like I've been to like comedy clubs before 
where the show was incredible because it was like a really like a veteran like pitbull comic who was just doing crowd work and he was just bouncing these they like the jokes themselves if you look at them with these club comics they're not that good but in the moment they're great because they're playing with timing and they're playing with expectation his com- john mulaney's comedy is not like that it's like like we said last episode that profile of him it's it's a really good point that you can read his jokes and they're still funny mm. Like a lot of comedians, if you read their jokes, they're not funny anymore because specifically American comedy is very personality based. It's very delivery based. I've been watching recently a uh, a British show that my girlfriend Allison put me onto. It's called Set Eight Out of Ten Cats Does Countdown. <laughs> what? It's it's just it's one of those British like it's kind of like a game show, but comedians are all the people on it. Like so many shows in Britain are just variety shows with comedians. Like if you and it's not Jimmy Fallon throwing water on people. It's it's so superior because British comedy is very very joke oriented. Like Mulaney is like very British in that way. His jokes are jokes. It's not just him saying something in a funny way. He is saying it in a funny way, but it's also a funny joke. Um, yeah, but the the special is. I mean, there's a lot of bits here that have popped up other places, like the Patrick Stewart on SNL bit, and uh, the one that he did on the Seth Rogen thing. The the one about. Um, oh wait, no, I'm thinking of the of his monologue when yeah, when his SNL starts, monologue when he starts talking about, about the, the captcha, captcha. Yeah. yeah, which is also passwords are passed. You've correctly <laughs> guessed, but now it's time for the robot test. Yeah, that's that's also prove. A great bit. Prove. Yeah, his voices on the special, like his it, the way that he's been able to kind of perfect yeah. these characters are amazing. I wanted to shout out the whole Street Smarts JJ Bittenbinder thing. Yeah, that's so, kind of taken a little bit of a. It's taken a little bit of a thing. Gaia yeah. actually purchased the VHS for Street Smarts. So actually, at it my exists. house right now, I have Street Smarts by JJ Bittenbinder. Was it like ninety dollars? Yeah. No, it, we got it. That was why <laughs> she got it now before because after this special, this special special is getting pretty popular like i've seen a lot of articles and stuff about it just because it is such a great special and i knew that or she knew that it was going to sell out or go up in price so she bought it for ten dollars plus shipping yeah so goodbye he like you said his his voices improved with this i mean shouts out i really think that the unsung hero of this special is alex timbers the director because he's a broadway guy he directed the acting a lot in this and you can tell his gestures his voices everything is what more well rehearsed i would say um another bit that i think is fucking incredible is the um now i forgot it i've gone and forgotten the bit which one the uh the college is it the talking through the burps one? No, that's good. Um, and that's another thing I wanted to say is I think in the future, if he gets a little bit more casual with his delivery, it'll pay off because there's about a minute in that exact segment where he's talking about how he's not old. He's gross. That whole bit, he changes his delivery style to be more like he's coming up with it on the spot, mm-hmm. which it's it's not a comparison you want to make nowadays, but the master of that was Louis. Yeah. Where he it you would just guess that he was thinking it up and it was very rehearsed. Or when Louis would be talking about things that happened to him when they actually happened to someone else. Yeah, he, he yeah. Which makes it sound uh. like Oh, well you know. <laughs> But what what I'm saying is that if that that minute is so good because his delivery changed a little bit, I think that's his future is getting a bit more casual but still rehearsed. Um, God damn it! I wish I could think of the bit now because it, it fucking cracks me up. But whatever. Well, Bittenbinder's great. There's, it, the special gets better as it goes on, like all his specials do. Um, it, I think that it took a minute 
it took probably like 10 minutes for me to adjust to his new uh pers- like his new entire yeah. aura about him because he's gesticulating to a huge audience are now. you are you thinking of his closer doesn't he close with like a religion bit yes which i wanted to talk about that because okay so quick little side note about me um my uh my dad's boy? family I wasn't ever my dad's family is Southern Baptist, which Catholics are like the worst of the worst, but Southern Baptists are like very close. And the way that he was describing going to church and then even being younger and being like, oh, yeah, I can't do something because I have to go to church. People are like, you do that every week. Where do you go? Like, You always go to church. <laughs> and then the whole thing where ushers are going out there and they hand you the pamphlets and then they just go up there and they start acapella singing. The bread of God is bread. <laughs> yes. Like yeah. that's so perfect. And their his whole bit about Psalms and it's just psalm. it's just sing a psalm. it's just dad singing over each other like that just hit yeah. it was so resonant oh, yeah. at a point where like uh, it's a joke that's made for a very small amount of people and he makes it work for the larger audience but yeah. if you are in that small group of people um that bit and uh his whole college bit i thought was perfect mostly as somebody who's about to graduate college i'm wondering why the fuck i just spent thousands and thousands yeah. of dollars to yeah. for a degree and that i'm not going to use as someone who just graduated college when they start emailing you about <laughs> donating more yeah, money give to me them. more money <laughs> yeah so i thought of the bit i have big news i thought of the bit okay whoa this it's such a small little like it's not a like a you know a big like crowd pleaser bit but just the one where he's talking about it's a classic Mulaney bit how in the old days they would just go wave at ships yeah <laughs> Oh yeah, that is the funniest. Hey, hey what are you doing on Tuesday? Yeah. And his actual waving, the, oh, the motion. Yeah, his just—it's ah. exactly like old footage. That is a like a 2008 Mulaney. Like you could find a rip on YouTube. Yeah. It is just classic. It's so fucking funny. His old like that was also like a great little smaller bit. Him just talking about the olden times. Mm. People are like, shit. I'm in the olden. I'm days. in the olden days. <laughs> Let's yeah. find something really long and slow to fill the day. Yeah, look, it's it's a great special. All right, let's talk. Well, that's obviously Kid Gorgeous on Netflix. Um, but let's talk Atlanta, the finale, guys. This is it for maybe ever. No, probably not. Not ever. probably not. But this would be kind of like you could see where this could be considered yeah. a series finale yeah. if they did decide it was, to leave. It was it a here. really good closer. I really loved this episode. And there were moments where I felt a lot of things. I felt fear and just joy and tension. This episode's a trip and you see Mm. everyone, you know, you stop by van, you got a lot of paper boy and urn Mm. in there. You get the fucking kid, which we just like have barely seen all season. I don't don't think think that we've seen. uh, We saw we saw her last. Yeah, Lottie. Yeah, we've heard her talked about, but it's like we got like a good amount of Lottie to just to remind us. Oh, yeah, he has a child. Yeah. And I think coming off of um, FUBU, because FUBU was the last one, right? Mm. Um, Coming off of FUBU, you get so much out of the urn and owl dynamic Mm -hmm. in this one because you're thinking about them sitting on that couch together you know in their in their uh in their youth and you're thinking about that and you get that last moment on the plane where al just really opens up and says like your family man and you give a shit and the reason why that happened is because Ern, for the first time in the entire series, he was faced with a moment, and I think it's a moment of terror that you're talking about, where he realizes from episode one of this year that he's got that fucking golden gun that Cat Williams gave he to him. never got rid of it. And he's walking through TSA, and it's just, 
you don't actually see it happen. It's very subtle. That was but at that point, man. that's a moment where, and that's just genius writing on their part because they didn't have time to give Earn this whole arc of redemption or anything like that. It's just one moment where Earn has to survive. And that's yeah. one of the things that Al talks about at the end is like, when it comes down to it, like whenever you're a black man, like you just have to do whatever it takes to survive. And you're my family, and I know that you're gonna survive, and I'm gonna survive, and we're gonna help yeah. each other. Survive. And I think I think Earn wouldn't have done that for anyone else. Yeah, he only did it because he's family. Yeah. And I mean, look at what happened. And he put the gun in uh, Clark, Clark County. County's bag. And Clark County fucking gave Clark up County the, the ratted dude. up. Yeah, he ratted out his manager, yeah. and that was one of those things where it's like, oh shit, like. I mean, he's out here also trying Real. to survive, but <laughs> yeah. like he's willing to sabotage and step on whoever it takes to but get there. That scene is so well directed because as soon as you start to see them put all their shit on the conveyor belt and you start to see the close ups of the monitor screen of the X-ray, I started shaking. I was like, yeah. no, 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 no. I, no yeah. No, and the no. episode had been so good that I had forgotten for a while about the gun. Yeah. And then they get I see his backpack for the first time. And I'm like, oh, Damn it. What God did you guys think it. he was going to do? What went through your head during that moment? I will see. Okay. I'd read the episode description on FX and it said something about like, like, I feel like I just like can't get out. And so I thought he was going to like literally bite the bullet and just leave and not go to that, Europe. That's exactly yeah, what yeah, I, I was, thought too. I had that feeling too. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, obviously he didn't. Um, spoiler. He was, <laughs> he was like, I need, I need to do this. Yeah, I, I got to fucking yeah, like, fuck someone to, over right now. Yeah, he had to prove himself. And even though it wasn't like the big kind of managerial moment that we had been kind of waiting for, we've been waiting for him to make some big phone call where he's like, listen, get Paperboy on the radio right now or something like that. <laughs> but that's not what this show is about. And not only that, like... I mean, we can criticize Earn for not being the best manager in the world, but he has tried to set up Al. I mean, we have the whole thing. He tries to give him a meeting at Spotify, fake Spotify. Well, he tries to set him up. I mean, he should have. Al should have gotten paid for his uh, like pajama party, pajama jam yeah, set yeah. that he showed up at. Yeah. But he was still trying to do some things. Yeah. But it was one of those things where up until north of the border, Earn was always somebody who just sat there and watch things happen around him. He never, I mean, we got that whole episode where Earn finally got paid and it was just people stunting on him the entire episode. And that's kind of Ben's Earn's entire arc, this entire series yeah. until this episode. And he's had to act and he did. And and that gets into what I think was the real MVP of the whole episode. This incredible conversation that Earn has with the Hasidic Jew in the passport office. Oh yeah. It's with, with Darius. Because the in the beginning of the episode, him and Al went and visited a, a black entertainment lawyer that they wanted to hire and he had all the credentials in the world and he had everything going for him, but he didn't have any clients and they're left to just be like, Well, why doesn't he have clients if he's so good? And so he just straight up asks because Ern is obviously thinking about his own, you know, standing with Al. He's like, Is there a black lawyer that's as good as your Jewish friend? And the the guy gives one of the best written, like most well thought out responses I kind could of like have imagined. Kind of like a jaw dropping line. Uh -huh. It's it's incredible. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm sure, but he doesn't have the connections, and it's systemic. But that's just the way it is. Damn. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's it's true, and from, that, that was incredible. From that, we also get uh, this episode was full of highlights. But the the urn and Darius conversation while they're in that passport office, where when he's like, D "Is out going to fire me?" Darius like really kind of like, and it's one of those things that really had me worried for. Earn, but at the same time, just like know that Al still loves Earn. That Darius was like, he's not gonna do anything until y'all get off the plan land. Like 
he knows that your family he wants to let you see the world and everything else like al is still even if he does do something he's still gonna look out for your best yeah. interest and, and we try even, and take care of you we even had another moment on that couch where everything started Yeah, that was a beautiful moment yeah a lot of there were actually a lot of parallels to the first episode yeah. of the series i don't know if you guys noticed the little thing where they're walking through the airport and he walks past the yeah. people who Earns are trying to get him to sign up yeah, yeah he's just like no thanks I do, <laughs> like that was a great little moment i do want to go back to darius though yeah I want to talk about Darius because I don't know if you guys picked this up, but I got the feeling, I don't know if this was the intention, but I got the feeling that the way Darius was written slash directed slash portrayed the whole package of Darius in this final episode, it was like seeing him in a new light. It was like his whole shtick has always been kind of charming and welcomed. And in this one, it's like a little sad and you're just like, damn, this dude can be really annoying. Yeah, I al- I also think that he has, from this episode, more what I got was he has this thing where, like, he is definitely annoying a lot of the time. But then underneath, he has such wisdom. Yeah, that's... Like, he knows yeah. exactly what's going on. He just doesn't take part yeah, in it. But like, he's so aloof. Like, oh, yeah. like, think back to the moment at the pool in Champagne Poppy. Yeah. Like, that is almost like a moment of transcendence. You know, you you have Darius come in as like this, like almost like godly figure to in, bestow wisdom upon the episode. And then in this one, it's like, dude, like, why are you high all the time? You're just fucking up. Okay, oh, yeah. so I, I'm going to push back on that point a little bit because I thought that like in Champagne Poppy, that whole scene that we have, um, I kind of took that as like, the comedic wisdom they has it's just like dude man what if we're simulations man like that's kind of like the darius where it's like i it's mean not yeah to i guess so totally but profound. it's not like yeah it's not really profound the speech that he gives when he's talking with urn i found like really like a punch in the chest between Real. that and what we got with um teddy perkins are like two moments of darius yeah. that we actually see in the season where he's being profound but not in like a trippy comedic kind of way it's just that like he really is super fucking smart he's just super aloof because he's high yeah i don't i don't mean it as a criticism i'm just i'm just saying that it we've never really seen darius in this way at least to me he is it was a new light for him he's yeah i mean i think he's been annoying a lot before and it's been for i mean honestly most of the comedy in this show can almost get repetitive because it's all someone annoying someone else a lot Mm. of the time um, if I were to have any, a lot of frustration, yeah, it's just mostly yeah. someone being ridiculous and someone being like, "Stop," which is kind of all comedy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Straight line, wavy line. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but like, I I thought that the speech was the entire scene in the passport office was probably my second favorite thing in the whole show behind Teddy Perkins because it was so. It had the line about the entertainment lawyer, which kind of summed up the whole show, like systemic. You know, it, it dealt with systemic yeah. race issues and such, like a upfront way and then it had the scene where donald earn is like i know that you're like always at peace with everything that's your thing but my life is falling apart right now yeah and then he gives him the straight talk yeah and i kind of i kind of even got more respect for him because he's been annoying before but in this one he was you're like, oh, you're you know what's happening. You're just not involved. And Which, like, I mean, it's all set up because Darius hasn't doesn't even have a fucking valid passport. So that's why they're having to go. <laughs> yeah, through it's entirely all this shit. his fault. Like, that, that's the thing. He is annoying as shit a lot of the time. Like, exactly. Well, I do want to talk about like wrap up the whole season. Yeah. But let's talk about that van 
scene. Oh yeah, that was um, also such a fucking cool yeah, scene. Like, like this that- episode was just packed with good, good stuff. And you have Ern going to like a parent teacher conference with Van, and the teacher basically tells them that in a in a very well directed scene that kind of leads you on, mm-hmm. um, that Laddie is too smart for the class. Yeah. And, you know, they're like so relieved because they think she was like sniffing white glue or um, white out. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then (laughs) the line that the teacher has is amazing because she basically compares the school. Yeah, she says, whenever I see a Stern that's smart enough to uh, get out, then I then I leave the gate open for him. Like comparing this school that they're in yeah. this horrible school to a slaughterhouse. Yeah. She's like, she's basically like, telling him like, get out of the school. Like yeah. your, your student is, or your, your daughter is way better than this school. Yeah. The See the last episode FUBU dealt with, I think probably things that Donald Glover dealt with as a child, like directly. Yeah. This episode dealt with, I think his childhood indirectly in that way, because I, that's something that, I mean, he's talked, he was, it's not a secret and he's not being cocky saying that he was a genius when he was a kid because he's a genius now and he, you know, had the good uh, grace to get out of a system that does not reward geniuses. And then the other thing that I think was really personal to him was the entire issue with the black entertainment lawyer. Think about what he's done his whole career. He's been a musician, an actor, a writer. He's had to make those choices of who to hire. Mm. I'm sure that exact discussion has happened with him yeah. where he's been like, who do I hire? Do I hire this guy who's really good but has no connections? just because I want to stand up for my people or Oof. do I do the best career choice? It seemed like this was a really, the whole show was personable in like a, a roundabout way. This was a really personal episode. Another, I think. Uh, just to like circle back real quick to the whole, the Lottie scene. Um, another moment that I thought was excellent by the teacher. It was just really well directed without saying anything. It just kind of shows how much Earn hasn't really been as involved in Lottie's life as he should be. He's, uh, they walk into the, to the parent teacher conference and uh the teacher says something just like oh hi van nice to see you and you must be Ur- you must oh, yeah. be lottie's father Dude, doesn't like, even say earn yeah yeah and also literally when we first saw lottie in the car seat in the lift next to earn i thought it was like the driver's daughter i <laughs> wow. literally just wasn't like, even thinking about lottie like we just it's been completely out of the picture that opening scene was really good though yeah. when the, the, the driver's Uber just driver, ignoring driver, yeah. ignoring the gps mm-hmm. oh that's funny and then you get the moment with um earn saying goodbye to Lottie and yeah. it's like a real goodbye yeah I mean he's really yeah he's really leaving he's gonna be gone for two months in Europe and it's so touching when she just starts like touching him on his mouth on his lip like mm-hmm. running her finger and you just get this nice kind of pause in the episode with Ern and his daughter and you're just like damn this this seems like a genuine goodbye yeah something that we didn't get at the end of season one yeah, no, this this was a really great finale while not being like a mind blower in any way. You know what I mean? Like yeah, this wasn't was the, Atlanta. This wasn't like a Breaking Bad finale where you're just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. It was just it was a finale that wraps things up for the season, but also not for the series. What do you guys think of the season as a whole? Um, I think Robin's I think it was better season. than season one. I, I agree. Um, we can kind of go through like highlights, lowlights. It, was, I mean, it felt like a very cohesive kind of thematic it did, story and like it's kind of interesting the choice that they did and i think that overall made it like the best thing on tv is that we start the season out with very kind of plot heavy lots of seeds being planted and then we go on this 
multi-episode run where it's just so atmospheric and disorienting and you don't really know what the fuck is happening which is kind of what a lot of season one was because it wasn't really focused on telling much of an overarching story as Mm -hmm. much and then we wrap up the season with three straight episodes that were very much uh going back to connecting the dots in the plot but not in like an overly predictable annoying way like we were all thinking that urn was out like that was yeah. we were all thinking like that was it was done yeah, and it yeah. wraps up with a very very well written conversation and believable like it's not one of those things that's like frustrating that's like oh yeah of course you're gonna stay together because it was one of those things like when then it, it was, was unexpected just these, it was these little moments that this one little moment that Ern showed which proved to Al like okay hey you're worth keeping yeah, he's around. he's here to play and he's also like Al said he's you know he brings value and he's family at the same time um. Favorite episode and least favorite episode this season. Teddy Perkins' favorite, for sure. Teddy Perkins is out there, dude. Like, this episode is a better episode of Atlanta. Teddy Perkins was like a whole different thing. And Teddy it was, Perkins is a it, it, short film. Yeah, and it was, I mean, it was incredible, obviously. I, I mean, I'm, of course, Teddy Perkins, it's hard to argue with that not being the best episode, but I think 1B is Woods. I think that Woods was yeah. absolutely incredible for having something that does further the plot while also just being so disorienting and just being the solo Al episode, which we've been waiting for, and it's satisfied in every this, note. Honestly, I love North of the Border, North too. of the Border was really good, too. Yeah. Another thing that happened this season uh, that I really was hoping for, kind of, I didn't even know I wanted it, and I wanted it, is this was Brian Tyree Henry's season. Like yeah, he, yeah, he was the star he for sure. Dominated this season, and we're I mean we're about to talk about Barry, and we're going to talk about Emmys with Barry for different reasons. I want Brian Tyree Henry to win something. I think Even, he'll win Best Supporting. It's totally, actor. it's obviously meaningless, but like I just want him to get recognition because he. It's a really tough role to play, like having complexity when sometimes the character can seem more simple than it is, and he did perfect yeah like i think he is the best straight like one of the best straight-faced actors that i've ever seen where he conveys so much emotion with hardly moving any muscles on his face or even like just moving he is it's just sometimes like somebody will say something to him and he just has this glossed over look in his eyes yeah. like are you fucking and kidding then- me and like I don't really I can only name like a couple actors who can do that. Yeah, and he he plays this thing that we're obviously all familiar with is this mask of masculinity really well mm-hmm. where like he cannot show his feelings cuz that's just who he has to yeah. be. And yet he manages to in the little things. That's why it has to be that way. And I I don't want to pick a least favorite season or episode cuz I love the entire season. I don't, don't think it really had a low low point, but if I had to pick one, it would probably be Either the one where um, Earn has to spend the gift card. Oh, um, you didn't like that? that no, episode? no, that's what I'm saying. Like, I liked all of it, but if I had wow, to pick, wow, one. that's fucked up. <laughs> For me, uh, I again, it's like the worst episode is still better than pretty much anything yeah. else on TV. But I think I still wasn't as into Champagne Poppy. Um, which was a disappointment for me because Van's solo episode in season one was one of my favorite episodes yeah, of the entire actually, sh- I, show. I never talked about that episode because I saw it after you guys, but that that kind of disappointed me too. And it was because I love the premise. Like, I think that could have been incredible, but I don't think it really went anywhere. Yeah. It, it didn't really develop. Um, and then my other weakest one, which I know you guys like, but I wasn't a huge fan of the German small town episode. Helen. Oh, you didn't Helen. like Helen? I, I liked Helen because I thought Helen was... 
just the whole arc that happens with Ern and Van that episode where the episode starts with Ern eating Van out and then by the end of the episode like it seems like they're done <laughs> like it it really it's there were a couple arc, seeds yeah. that were kind of coming planted together in the season finale but Van said hey I'm gonna move Lottie into living with my parents like that kind of seems like away from Atlanta well, I mean, it, they didn't specify where exactly, Probably. but Ern gets that text message just like, hey, I'm thinking about moving back home with Lottie. Mm-hmm. And it's like, All right. Oh. So um, when do you think we're going to see this show come back? Who knows, man? Hopefully, I'm hoping hopefully like, next year. I don't think so. Probably next not. year. I'm going to guess 2020 at the earliest. Just Donald Glover has so much shit going on right now. Like Donald Glover... He, this is, 2018 is going to be the year of Donald Glover. Oh, yeah, man, like, Lando. We're going to have Atlanta, which is the best show on TV, Solo, which is actually tracking much better than I expected it to. We could, you and me could both be regretting putting it lower on our summer movie. Wager. Oh, I put it at number two, dude. Oh, did you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. I put it at number, I put it at number four, so I alone will regret that, because apparently I mean, it's pretty good. Well, but, yeah, the other thing with it is it's called, it's named after one of the most beloved characters in movie history, and I think that's going to draw more than... It's, Rogue One, who, no one knows anyone in that It's named after movie. one of the most beloved Red Cups in history. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Kill me. All and right. then new Childish Gambino coming Hell out. Yeah. So 2018 is going to be huge for The Donald year Lover. of the Beano. He kind of has one of those things where he can do whatever the fuck he wants to do next. Yeah. Let's take a okay. break, and when we get back, we're we'll going to be talking HBO and Tully. Bleep, burp, burp, burp. We'll be back. I'm going to fucking kill myself tomorrow morning when I wake up. Same. It's going to be brutal. I have a test. Uh, let's, let's talk Barry. We're back. Barry. So, I was watching we don't have, Blinders. God, we don't have time for this. Take a... Oh, I was actually going to give the entire synopsis of every episode oh, to this part. Okay, that's fair. How come they don't promote the fact that Tom Hardy is in that show? I don't think anyone knows or, that. Or, um... I didn't know that. Honestly, uh, I didn't know that. Scarecrow? Yeah. Scarecrow? Killian? Yeah, yeah Killian. Yeah, well, he's on the poster. Yeah, they promote that. That's like, fun. you you have Tom Hardy... I'm I actually gonna... didn't even know Tom Hardy was in that show. Yeah, I had no list. idea. Is he peaky or blinders? I think he's peaky. I'm oh. never going to watch that show. We watched the first episode up to the point where they said peaky blinders. And yeah. then we're like, all right, and we can turn this off. And <laughs> yeah, we all, we all clapped and then went to sleep. <laughs> the castle run. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into these two HBO shows. One of them just wrapped up its first season. Let's get mm-hmm. into that one. Again, requisite spoiler warning. Super spoilers. Yeah. yeah please 
don't listen if you haven't. Colin, the I'm show. talking to you. I know you have an HBO account. Just watch Barry. It's Barry not even that long, amazing. dude. Yeah, what? No, thirty watch minute Barry. episodes, eight episodes. Colin, yeah. wake up. You're in a simulation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we got to talk uh, the last two episodes. So s- chapter seven and chapter eight. Chapter seven. All right. One big old spoiler warning. This is your last chance. Chapter seven was one of the best episodes of TV I saw all he, year. Okay, so yeah. yeah, this whole season I've been the a big fan. acting yeah. of this man. Barry has grown on me. I mean, it's one of those shows. Like I said last week, it's tweaking in the right direction. It's a winner because of that. The last two episodes of Barry probably made it my favorite show on TV. Um, it, they're more so than more Atlanta. so than Atlanta. Yeah, Atlanta's the best show on TV. Barry's probably my favorite. Yep. Atlanta is a mood show. It's like a like. There's certain times where I'm like, I can't watch Atlanta right now. It's too. And Barry's more of a. It's more of a TV show. It's more TV. Than yeah, it Atlanta. has oh, more. I mean, definitely. Yeah, it has more traditional elements. But these last two episodes have been so gripping. I've been completely mind blown. I could not have expected it to be this good. I and that's one of the things we were talking about off mic is that this show is like a perfect crescendo where the pilot was great. S- episode two had me a little bit worried about the show. Like episode two, I still thought I thought it was going to be a good show, but I was like, I my expectations for it were lower. And then from episode three on through the finale, it has just been escalating up and up and up, and it kind of perfectly captures because this is a show that could just focus on being uh, a little dark comedy and just having this like fish out of water humor with Barry in acting class. And he's like, I don't get this. I just fucking kill people for a living. But this show isn't about that. It's about the characters and how they change and grow. If if you're still watching Silicon Valley, stop and start watching Barry. Barry's better than Silicon Valley ever was. Um, And I like Silicon Valley, but like, Barry's just it's just better it's just everything, a winner everything that Barry is trying to do it's absolutely nailing especially in these last two episodes I think when the sh- show first started it was struggling to kind of do this balancing act with the violence and the comedy yeah mm. and at this point as it wraps up its season it's owning it and it's absolutely just it's literally like it's just hitting it out of the park yeah well i mean another thing is i was listening to we've talked about before but the interview that they down the watch henry winkler and bill Hader, and um and i think it actually it also is a little bit of a bill Hader's interview they did with bill simmons where bill Hader talked about how because he created the show, righted it, directed a couple episodes. Like, he was so behind the scenes that it got to the point for day one of filming, and he was, like, kind of like, oh, shit, how am I going to play this character? Because he thought so much about making the show they didn't think yeah. about how he was going to play Barry. And you can tell that in the first couple episodes is, like, he's very straight uh, in those episodes. He's kind of, you don't, yeah, kind you of don't really expect as much out of Bill Hader as you end up getting. By the end of the season, it's very, very clear yeah. what he is doing with that Dude. character. By, by the end, he's acting. He, like... So the big, I mean, we can talk about the specifics, but the big moment of episode seven is that he has to make the decision to kill his Marine buddy, Chris. Um, And that is so well played that entire scene. It's sympathetic to both characters. You're not, you don't have a side in it and you understand both sides of what's going on. And yet you know what's going to happen. You know what has yeah, to happen. And just, it's still surprising. It's a perfect scene. And you knew it was going to happen as soon as like, he's just like, I have to go. I have to go tell somebody. And you just, it's very quiet. Bill Hader just looks down and just says, 
why did you say that? Yeah, and then he screams it. And then he it. screams it again. Why did you say that? And at that point, that moment, you're like, yeah, that was Barry's going to kill it. Like, it, this is the point where Barry's eventually going to become like, uh, he's unhinged. He's, un, he's unhinged, and you can't, you can't, he's no longer the protagonist and of the that, show at that, that point. And that leads, I mean, that whole, that scene, I had to watch it again. I had yeah. to rewind it and, and rewatch it because it was so affecting. And I just couldn't believe that that the show just did that to me. Yeah. And then it leads into the, you know, you think that's the big moment, but then it leads into the actual big moment, which is Barry at the acting class or at the actual performance of Macbeth. Yeah. And he is having a severe yeah. mental breakdown. And the way it's done and like cut it's together. And, yeah. His yeah. Acting, and it has, yeah, there's there are flashbacks that are very well directed that scene, I was thinking as I was watching the scene of his friend getting killed, I was like, honestly, at this point, I don't want to see an acting scene. It felt like it would just be cheap and shitty and it, I wouldn't give a fuck. And it was so well done that like it was almost more, better. And not only that, I think uh, Ernest, you and me were talking about this off mic, was that just like the way you that guys, it is wait, done. Wait, you guys talk off mic? <laughs> no, that was a lie. Okay. Um, but just like the fact that it was Macbeth, it was this part of this play which has been done a thousand times in different acting classes everybody tries to do classic shakespeare and just my lord the queen is dead but this little scene from this play i've never seen yeah, it done with life, so much life is heart. but a walking a walking shadow yeah and just whole monologue seeing bill haters just him saying my lord the queen is dead like it was just so powerful yeah. for a line that's been said millions yeah. of times and, by different actors and another cheap out thing that i predicted that proved me wrong is i thought that at that point the uh agent who was in the audience to see what's her name the sarah goldberg yeah who's, sally. Yeah, sally. who's there to see sally i thought that he was gonna see bill and be like no that's a star <laughs> and i was like i don't want that to happen yeah. and it's just like this that's my true mark of a winner show is when i'm expecting something stupid and it completely doesn't do that it made the the agent still noticed Sally. Mm-hmm. Bill just played a pivotal role in the agent noticing Sally. And because this, you can tell this is a show that's made by an actor and that acting isn't always about being a scene stealer. Sometimes it's about being very generous and about providing energy for the true star oh, yeah. to thrive well, off of, yes. which is something that's, I mean, he was known for being one of the best glue guys at SNL, so yeah. he knows exactly yeah. what that is and like. Sally tells him that at the very end of the episode, she's like, she says I was only able to do that because you gave that to me mm-hmm. like his action his like welled up tears and all of that all that emotion she used that for her performance and and she just reacted and that's really what acting is is you listen to your scene mm-hmm. partner and you react to what they give to you and it's that concept is enacted in one of the craziest ways I've ever seen because then yeah. she's like just go back to that place yeah. just do that again that's your process and it's like yeah and he's like he nah killed his friend yeah. yeah and I mean that just leads into the finale where he's done like he just wants to finally be out he's fucking had it and in this whole episode it you it, it follows that classic rule of threes of I'm done starting now. You get it in the first scene. And then the whole show, he's just trying to finally make ways. To trying to out. bury his past. Yeah. And I thought that this final episode was 
so excellent on so many levels. Like I, I, I'm kind of at a loss for words that this show was able to shake me on the levels that yeah, it did. I mean, because, well, the thing is with this finale is that you get a point in the episode where you're like, and everything wraps up neat and tidy. And they shoot and then it, it like, goes on for another 10 minutes. Well, they, they shoot it like it's another fantasy yes, sequence. Yeah. And you kind of thinking like, oh, this was clearly like yeah. Barry just imagining his yeah, future. They had, yeah, they had set us up with these great fantasy sequences earlier that were comedic and tragic at the same time, which is, again, what the show is entirely about. And yeah, that's exactly what I thought too. I was like, oh, it's just another uh, flash forward that's fake. And it turned out to be, we're led to strongly believe real. And it takes one such of the, a turn. One man. of the most brutal things I've ever seen. Yeah. Like it was one of the better, it was probably, what, 10 minutes? Yeah. And well, was, we, we get a callback to the, um, the monologue or the, um, the, the pilot when Barry starts to give that story about his life and Henry Winkler thinks it's a monologue, we get a callback to that and we start to realize like, oh shit, she's found him out. Mm. She knows. And throughout the next, the rest of that scene and the scene that follows, you're like, as she's walking out of the house, sneaking out, you're like, she's going to die. He's going to fucking kill her. And you're just waiting for it and you're waiting for it. And I really thought that she was going to be sitting there on the dock and he was just going to fucking shoot her right there. But they have a dialogue and mm. they have this conversation that it's some of the best filmmaking TV yeah. I've ever seen. Because, like, you know it's going to happen. Mm. You know it's yeah, coming. Yeah, someone's going to die. And it did a great job of making Bill's uh, character sympathetic, just like the scene with his Marine buddy did, where you you knew what had to happen and you also you understood both sides of it. And the choice that they made that was probably the best out of that whole scene was that he doesn't bring a gun to the dock. He brings it to a tree, which gives him a chance to like put it all on the line and give her every chance to back out, mm-hmm. even though conceivably there's no way she should. She she did everything right. It's her yeah, job. I mean, she's a detective. Like. Yeah. And, you know, we've compared this show to Breaking Bad, rightfully so. I think they're, especially with these last two episodes, like it's not far-fetched to compare it to oh, one no. of the best shows of all yeah. time. And, you know, Drew, you, you've said that Barry cannot possibly be as bad of a guy as Walter White was. And we really see that with this moment here. It's like he with genuinely this and the believes... last episode, like, it's getting to the point where he's kind of unredeemable as a character. Yeah, it's... but no, but what I'm trying to say is that, like, you, you, you can see into his core that he really does well, want to be a good person. The, and the, he's, take, he's making moves to try to prove that. Yeah, well, that's the entire difference between the shows, is it's not, it's this isn't Breaking Bad, it's the opposite. It's mm-hmm. a guy who has already broken bad long ago. And he's trying to go back. Yeah, and he just can't. Like, once you break it, it's broken. Yeah. Um, and that's what the show is going to become about. This, uh, this season of the show has proven every issue I had completely wrong. Even the comedy has gotten better in the darkness. It's become more like rare um, because the drama has taken such a spotlight. But the the Chechenian is that what they Chechens. are? Yeah, yeah. They they never They're great. Re- <laughs> yeah, they started, and I was like, just like with the police characters, I was thinking this is broad. Yeah, and they the cartoons. Yeah, and they got more and more specific, and then all of them except for the best Chechenian died, and so we're just left with the good one. <laughs> Who is how great was it that uh Goran was like on that treadmill, like running fast or walking faster yeah, the yeah. more while he was smoking he got. a cigar, like while <laughs> on the treadmill? The, the effect of his head getting blown 
thrown off. That the was side. really cool. Also, I really mean, effective. Just that whole I have really enjoyed the Chechens this whole season. Just their whole dark comedy. Like I love how we think that Fuchs is dead for sure. The dude breaks out the the uh, the skill saw, and then you just go back and he's like building like a little like old school medieval type like <laughs> posture thing for him. He's like, this is all part of the torture technique. Like you know, terrifying him right now by doing this. And he's yeah. like, just fucking shoot him. Like, yeah. I mean. Overall, great show. I'm really pleased with this. I'm so glad that they were able to improve it and just nail it on every level. Can't wait for season two. It's already renewed. Um, any final thoughts before we move on? Nah. I mean, I just I can't recommend this show enough to people. I think that even if you have, so for some watch. reason, listened through the spoiler section, if so, shame on you. But yeah. even if not, like... Don't listen to us Listen, <laughs> just watch this show. Like, it really is, I think... Nothing's going to beat Atlanta any year that Atlanta is on TV. I think that Atlanta is just a bar above everything else. It's a worthy number two. Barry is the definite number two. It's 1A and 1B. And I never expected that from the start of this uh, season. This is a show that just keep up with it. Just follow through with it. There might be some points earlier on the season where you might think it's going to take a little bit of a dip, but... Boy, oh boy, does it rise yeah, no, up. Just, just keep giving it a chance. It's like I said with American Vandal. Like, you And think it's very you have, easy to because yeah. these 30-minute episodes. Exactly. Episodes. Yeah, same thing. You think you have a problem, it'll get solved. All right. Most likely. Let's talk Westworld. So two episodes. We got it. We can't get too deep into this, but let's just... Hunter, don't get too deep. I know that you just can't shut up about yeah, how good it is. Yeah, you guys know about how much of a West boy I am. I... I actually really loved these two latest episodes. I'm, I don't know if I really loved, but they there were a lot of things about it, about both episodes that really worked for me. Um, in episode three, we had all the stuff with Dolores and her father, like her finding mm-hmm. uh, her papa and this dude, whoever, I forget the actor's name, but how he plays this like overlord yeah, peter abernathy oh, yeah overloaded robot who is like malfunctioning it's amazing and they actually have a real quote-unquote real emotional connection and you start to see some real um sensitivity in, in dolores because she's been just this ruthless murderer this new season and and we start to see her really connect with her father i thought that was a really touching moment um my only complaint is I think the episodes are too long, like way too long. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'll never, I'll never be one to say that the show is perfect. Uh, it it has definite flaws. That's one of them. They could. There's so much. There's a lot that they could cut down. I think. I mean, just make like an hour long show. Like, what's was there ever anything wrong with hour long shows? I don't. I don't quite understand that. Um, I think that maybe season two is a bit of a step down from season one. Um. But I, I mean, I felt very strongly about season one compared to most people. Um, there there are just a few scenes per episode that I'm starting to get lost. But the thing that this show is 100% the best at is its beginnings and its endings to episodes. They are always rock solid. If the show could just be like that yeah. the whole time, it would be the best show on yeah, TV. Yeah, last week we had our first look at a, at a different park with the Raj, some yeah. sort of uh, colonial Indian place and we were introduced to tiger lady mm-hmm. who surprise surprise in at the end of ep four we find out it's ed harris's daughter which was a huge reveal yeah that was and i did like that that was something that wasn't like a whole season long of theorizing and all this yeah. shit it's just like no it's right away like we're gonna give you the answers which yeah. i think is something that Noah and joy have uh, learned from from season one um 
I wanted to briefly talk about in episode three, their action set piece I found incredibly lame. Their whole like battle sequence between the humans and the robots. I thought story wise it was, it was very convoluted. It was trying to be the Game of Thrones set piece. It came at the right point, the like forty five minute mark of the episode that and there's this whole setup there like if you laid the mines down in the field, like it felt like it was trying to be Blackwater. And <laughs> yeah. instead it was people with assault rifles versus people with muskets. And shocker, assault rifles win. Like it's one of those things where it's like I just thought that that was pretty poorly executed for a show, and I think that that kind of leads into one of my problems with this season, where season one, I felt it dealt a lot more with this whole like philosophy of what it means to be uh, to actually have a conscience, and I thought that season two was really going to dive into those ideas now that these creatures have free will. Instead, it kind of seems like they're sacrificing a little bit of that to have more of these, make it more of like flexing that big budget action show. Mm. And I think that that's really hurting it. Like episode four, we get a scene, which was a cool callback to, um, in season one where, uh, Ed Harris's man in black, he goes to that town, um, where uh, I forgot his cohort who he's with now. Um, uh, Lawrence. Yeah. But he's, he goes to his hometown and he like, kills everybody in the town and dances with his wife and all this stuff. And now he's going back there again and he kind of plays the hero there. But during that whole scene where you have the, um, confederados like there, you have the guy who like stands up. He's like, is there an elder of the town who can speak whenever they're staying in the church? And then they shoot the elder and like people like react to it. It's supposed to be like a no moment, but I've just found it to be one of those things where it's like, well, who cares? Because whenever things get under control, they can just fucking, like, fix everything. And they can, if anything, they can just change whatever storyline characters are on. Yeah, like, but that's not the point. The point of that is to see what it's like for these androids, robots, to interact with each other as without any, like, humans in the mix. Like, I guess so. Ed Harris just... is there, but, but the way this narrative is playing out... It's like really interesting because Dolores brought this guy back from the dead and he's aware of that. He's aware that he's coming back from the dead. So he's like out with this God complex of him doing death's death's bidding. So it's like you start to think of how the the how all the different ways of of uh, levels of awakeness uh these hosts can interact with each other and play out in, in their narratives. There's it's just, really interesting. There's just, I mean, yes, um, I'm more interested to see like what this relationship between Ed Harris and his daughter is because it's funny, this whole season was supposed to be about Ed Harris finally feeling stakes in this world, but still as a viewer, I don't really feel stakes. Um, I think the most interesting thing about this episode is we get a little bit more of enlightenment on the whole um like using DNA mining and all this stuff. Yeah. And that, that was, was really cool. That was really excellent. Um, the way that they showed the same scene three different times, but it's over three different timelines yeah. of and two different young actors. William, slightly older William, and then Ed Harris coming to visit, yeah. uh, uh, Delos, uh, James, Tom, James Delos. Yeah. yeah. And that was some really, really cool. That was shit. one of those things where at first time I watched it, I was like, pretty sure this dude's like a robot and just kind of the way that it all plays out the second time you get there and he William hands him the script of everything that he's going to say and him just kind of like falling apart it's one of those things where it's really it's really tragic watching that scene where this is a show where 
a lot of times I don't feel that emotional heart that I feel like I should. And in that moment, I did feel Also, that. going back to what you said about them dragging out the reveals, I thought that they were going to drag out whatever um, Bernard and the newly reintroduced um Elsie mm-hmm. are searching for and what they're what's behind that yeah, door. Yeah, so I guess everybody who died except for Anthony Hopkins in season one, like they're just fine. Anthony they Hopkins were just chilling. Is, we well, were, she didn't die. She, but everybody who's like mysteriously dragged off. Oh yeah, because like, we get the oh, stubs. Dead. The stubs with the ghost. Yeah, the ghost nation. I I do like that they're giving us these answers though, because it's like it's not yeah it's not played as this big reveal. It's just like yeah, that's just where they're but, at. Yeah, the, the thing that I'll agree with you about is that the show. I just I do, sometimes I think they have a hard time understanding which things we care about because mm. there are some plot lines that's like yes more of that please and then they just cut to shit that doesn't matter. One scene that really stuck out to me um, was where the bartender is shaking and the Confederate makes yeah. him walk twelve steps and we have to watch like all twelve steps <laughs> like we care about the bartender. I yeah, I, I don't, care about robot bartender. I just don't care about that bartender. We don't even if he was a human, we don't know him. Like you know what I mean? It yeah. was it was just weird for such a long episode. They're focusing so much on these tiny little characters, and then it cuts to Bernard having the most interesting existential crisis I've ever seen. Okay, like, jumping so through I time, thought I did. I do like this whole idea of like he can't really place his memories, but his whole thing where it's just like ah, I can see things, and now I can't. It's a very very convenient. Oh yeah, storytelling. There's a, there's device. a lot of convenience with that whole plot line. Um, and that's, with this entire show, really, and that's kind of the thing that they can do with all this time jumping that the show does. Is you're like, well, I don't know what's happening, but I guess it's going to yeah. fit in line with some. It's like Bert, Bernard is basically the viewers of Westworld. He has yeah. no idea what the <laughs> fuck is. Going yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, I I am always invested in him because Jeffrey Wright is an amazing actor, and because oh yeah, he kills it. Yeah, every and time. because we had we spent a lot of time with him in season one. Um. And maybe you could call it a trick to make us care about him by making us think he's a human for a season, but also we understand that he is a complex emotional being, whether or not he's a human, more than most of these robots. Most of these robots were still just kind of like, well, I've seen him like for five minutes. I don't really care. I don't know. I think the thing with this show, and I mean, of course, this isn't a show that I'm out on. I still think this is a really good show. This show is just like, it's a B plus when I think that should be an A or an A plus. I think that's one of the things that bothers me the most about this show is that there is all the potential in the world for this show to be like one of the greats. Like I think that this show, like this IP that they're dealing with, it's Blade Runner TV show, except even more of like an open and interesting world. And I just feel like they scratch the surface sometimes in some of these deeper stories. Yeah, and I don't know exactly how you would even fix that. I don't either, and I'm, I, I am interested to see, because the whole thing with James Dellis, this whole idea of putting yourself into these creatures and basically making yourself live forever, that's not, really fucking cool. And it not cool. working. But, yeah. Because essentially what's happening here is that he's not a host. He's just exactly the man that he was, just in an artificial body. It's not a fully, mm-hmm. you know, robot being. Which maybe that's what Bernard is. Maybe it's, Ford it's, kind of found a way to uh, upload Arnold's kind of well, consciousness yeah. in a way that worked to a host. That's that's really interesting. And I think that ties into one of the theories that's been floating around that the Arnold or that the Bernard that we're seeing in the future time in the two weeks later timeline is actually Arnold. Like it's really Arnold. 
you yeah. know, just in an Android body. Yeah. Uh, this show, like from a from a, like a even farther away, like zoomed out perspective, I I accept its flaws uh, because. I kind of like I know them and they've kind of been this it's been this way from the start it's never going to be a show that is everything it's never going to be a show that kind of encapsulates like everything it is to be a person or not be a person um but it scratches a certain itch like I watch multiple shows because like not no one show can just be everything no one show can have the full range of everything that you want out of a show like and when it does it is an all-time great show but i don't expect that from any show i watch really so like you get like stark comedy and stark dark drama with like barry for example you get this really weird dreamy mix of almost everything with atlanta which is why it's truly such a great show and kind of the high watermark because it kind of does have a little bit of everything westworld is it's a mystery show for the most part it's and it touches on really really deep shit it doesn't get too deep into them but it scratches the same itch that for a lot of people, like even when I was a kid, shows like CSI or Law and Order would scratch. Every episode of CSI is a mystery show. You're trying to figure out one thing with the main characters. And this is a way, way, way better version of that because every season there are like 20 different mysteries happening and they're interwoven in a way that it's not just yep. like at the end of the episode you understand. I and, just, you're, and you're rewarded as a viewer for engaging with all of the discussion and, and the the digging into the mystery because that's what makes the show better you it, the show doesn't work if you just watch it and you're like on your phone half the time yeah it, no, i i can under i don't know it, how somebody could do that it works when you when you are invested in it and you try and you put your effort into it and then you talk about it and you try to break it down it, it doesn't work as just a show that you just kind of watch in passing because then it doesn't make any sense but at to, all but to that point then like why even waste time with a 12 minute long action set piece in the middle of that? Yeah, like, exactly. I think that was like, I mean, that's, like, what Drew's that's saying. not what you're doing. Like you it, fail it on that aspect. Like yeah. you shouldn't even try to do that. I get their HBO. They're trying to make this because Game of Thrones ending. They're trying to make Westworld the new Game of Thrones. And I think by doing that, they're trying to make it Game of Thrones where they're like, well, we got yeah. big action set pieces. It's Wild West. People like shoot em ups. But that's never what Westworld was about. It's not about the actual like the antics of the Wild Wild West. It's about these deeper philosophical messages about what it means to create ai and maybe that's how you fix the show you already have these amazing actors working on it i don't think there's a single actor that sucks you already have these great performers the worst hemsworth maybe even you could take him out he's he's fine that bad like you have these really really good performers maybe just tone it down on the spectacle and do more character-based stuff and, and I think that inject- that's where I think this show I think that's what I was getting at about wasted potential with the show yeah. is that I want something that is very character driven and that isn't relying on its big budget to try and yeah. tell you something. Yeah, it's I mean, yeah, it's a flawed show. I wish it were shorter and I wish it would focus on smaller stuff, but that's not a profitable choice in the eyes of the people who make the choices. What the show kind of needs also is a no man like it needs someone to be like, hey, maybe this scene's like too long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can we just yeah. cut out like well, 20, it's got it's 15, got no one bro minutes. on it. So, yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah, it needs someone to <laughs> it's be It's going to be needlessly confusing. Yeah, exactly. It just needs that's what Christopher Nolan needs to. He needs someone to be like, "Hey, that just that one scene." If we if we get like a 90-minute episode of the show, it better be fucking incredible or else I'm going to be <laughs> We almost be just falling did. asleep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our final little bit 
um, on the pod tonight, which is Tully. We're talking Tully. Um, We are running a little late, so I don't want to talk about this too much, but I did get a chance to see Young Adult, which is the other um, Charlize Theron, Diablo Cody, Jason Reitman joint. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really, really good. I'd really recommend this film. It's on Amazon Prime and it's on Hulu. And it kind of sort of takes on some similar themes um not really about motherhood but just the whole idea of like a woman finding herself and mm-hmm. it's a different age so she's more like the 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 concept is this woman who has been divorced and is sort of floating through life just like with hookups and she's trying to be a writer and kind of has a little bit of writer's block so she goes back it's it's one of those goes back home stories yeah and she's just kind of causing a ruckus trying to rekindle with an old flame to gain some inspiration for her writing and uh Theron's performance is really the thing to to behold in this film she is incredible she's always she's great, so dude. fucking good and she is like kind of insane mm. in this role and you're like really scared sometimes because she's trying she's trying to be a homewrecker mm. like this dude that she's trying to con- reconnect with has a kid already married with a kid and sometimes like you feel like she's gonna actually snap and like do something <laughs> like really really bad but the 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 fact that the movie isn't that kind of movie that it's just your you know Reitman film it's not a horror movie yeah, yeah. It, it kind of it makes the the film uh, I appreciate it a little bit more because I was expecting her to like totally just go fucking murder spree <laughs> like that's how she plays the I character. mean even Tully we, we'll kind of get to it but it has a little bit of those elements where you're like is this gonna devolve into a exactly, horror movie exactly um, Patton but, Oswald is in there too he was okay. great. Yeah, I definitely want to check it out. I'm a huge Jason Reitman fan. Um, I love his first two films are amazing. Uh, Thank You for Smoking, I think, is a great dramedy with Aaron Eckhart, William H. Macy. Macy. Yeah, Juno. um, I don't know if you guys have tried to watch Juno recently, but it is great. I feel like that movie I want to check it out again. I feel like that movie gets a lot of shit because people are like, oh, man, it's so over-stylized and all this shit. But that's like the first... 10 minutes of the movie is like very Wes Anderson-y and after that it's just like this really really great story um Up in the Air came out in 2009 I love Up in the Air I I think Up in the Air is an amazing movie definitely recommend that Uh, Academy Award nominated for Best Picture Mm. um but quickly I wanted to before we kind of get into the full review um Jason Reitman just did a interview on um the Big Picture podcast with Sean Fennessy uh on for the for the ringer and he had this very like ingenious kind of thing which i'd never thought of before and it kind of perfectly sums up like what it means to be a great director where he says he was giving this whole uh this anecdote about how one day whenever he was younger his dad called him up and said hey like do you want to come over and watch some episodes of 24 together and so he went over there and they were watching 24 and he was like the show's amazing why is this show so much better than any other show that's about terrorism? And his dad said to him, terrorism is just a location. At the heart of that story is about a man trying to do whatever it takes to protect his family. And that's this kind of sentiment that Jason Reitman has taken into all of his other films. Juno, you can look at it on the surface and say, hey, this is a movie about teen pregnancy, but really it's a story about 
a teenager who is having to face adulthood when she's not ready for it, an adult with Jason Bateman who's still trying to be a child and not willing to grow up. And, I mean, you can kind of do the same thing with Tully where yeah. you look at it and you're just like, oh, it's just, oh, you know, about having your newest, uh, your newest child. But really there's all these other deeper messages that are to the story and it's just – having your third pregnancy is just a location in which this deeper message well, is coming across. I, I totally agree with that, but I think a lot of that credit also goes to Diablo Cody. Oh yeah, absolutely. Her writing. I think a lot of that also pops up in young adult, like in young adult, uh, you have the like really struggling to kind of look inward and be like, Hey, you need to grow the fuck up. You need to move on. You need to realize that you're more than this small town that you came from. You need to leave that shit behind and stop like trying to rehash all this old shit. And, uh, also Patton Oswalt's character is like a cripple and he's like hanging onto this crutch and like using that as an excuse. So there's all of these themes of like holding onto these past traumas mm-hmm. and, and, and just your history letting, you becoming an obstacle to you evolving as a person. Um, So let's get to Tully. This movie, um, you wouldn't expect it, but it's something that we should uh, not really dive into until we get to spoilers. It's, it's like a, it's like a movie about parenthood. And this isn't a movie that you would expect to have a twist, but it does. So if you haven't seen it, we're going to do spoiler free discussion, but we will have a spoiler section for this movie. Please please go see this. This movie is doing horrible at the box office. Thanks a lot, Marvel. Um, So please support this movie. It's really, really good. Busy moms don't go watch movies as it turns out. (laughs) Um, This movie kind of blew me away. I love this movie. It holds up after thinking about it for me. Uh, And initially, just right after walking out of the theater, I was a huge fan. So I I think it was well-written. I mean, very well-written. I was kind of blown away by Diablo Cody's uh, script. It was well-acted because Charlize Theron is a fucking powerhouse. Mm -hmm. She's amazing. Every time I see her, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's her. And then I'm like, oh, shit. Like, she's, (laughs) she's the greatest. Like, she's incredible. And then it was really, really well directed too. Like I couldn't, I couldn't really nitpick this movie too much. Like there was like one thing here and there, but overall, I was, I loved it. It was super emotionally intelligent. It it created tension out of scenes that were so small, um, which is always really impressive to me when it takes something that is just an everyday occurrence and it turns it into the most intense thing you've ever seen on a screen. Like the the kid kicking the back yeah, of the seat. Exactly. Yes. It does it does things like that over and over again, which is kind of the point of the movie that it's it is just an absolute stress to yeah. be a parent. Yeah, this honestly, this movie um kind of made me horrified by the ever by the idea of ever becoming a parent. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, I don't really ever see myself having it, kids. But it made again, me so really stressed knows, to be a but parent. I I mean, this movie makes me want to go up to, like, every mother in the world. I think there's a reason why this movie came out, like, right around Mother's Day. Just because it's kind of a special thing, like, insight to something that, as, like, guys, we're never really going to know what this kind of pain and stress is like. And that ends up being a huge theme in the movie. Yeah, it's just, like, one of those things where, you know, you can try and be a dad who's there. And, I mean, the husband in this movie isn't a neglectful person whatsoever, but... It's one of those things where when a baby's crying in the middle of the night, like you got to get up and breastfeed him. You got to get up and do whatever it takes to provide for this newborn child and also be there for your family. Um, 
And then, of course, we have the arrival of Tully, who is the night nurse who comes in, who Mackenzie by Mackenzie Davis, and Mackenzie Davis kills it in this role. And like this, really kind of creep. She's kind of creepy yeah, whenever very you first strange. see her. Yeah, she's very odd, just like sneaking into the house, looking all around and everything. And you're like, what is, what is her role going to be in this movie? And yeah, essentially, the the plot is that. Uh, this couple is like pretty much dead set in the middle. They both have boring jobs. They're middle class. They already have two kids. Yeah, and they already have two kids. One of them is like kind of spectrumy. He has a lot of issues, intellectual issues. So he's a huge stress on the family. And then they have a third. Yeah. And eventually they finally reach their breaking point and decide to uh, call a night nanny to come and help out at thanks night. Thanks to Mark Duplass. Yeah, thanks to yeah. Mark Duplass playing uh, Charlize Theron's brother. And he's uh, he's great. He's always great. Um, I do think the... Um, I mean, I don't want to get too into details, but the scene, the the dinner party scene, is one of the best scenes in the movie. Oh yeah, that's mm-hmm. there's a lot of cringe in this movie, a lot of like yeah, yeah. awkward uncomfortableness, and I think that scene, like the writing and the direction, really um, kind of makes that. Flourish. Yeah, because I think that dinner party scene could be very eye rolly if it was written slightly worse, mm-hmm. and it's one of those things where you watch it and you're clearly watching. Her brother, who is very high class and can afford to do night nannies and do whatever it takes, get their kids into the best school and all this stuff. And um, I almost said Tully, but Marlo and her daughter and her husband are just doing whatever it takes to survive in their situation. So overall, I loved this movie. It's like top three of the year for me right now. I think everything about this is so nuanced and measured and it surprises you in the most like welcoming ways. I, the, the ride this movie takes you on. It's like, I can't really think of a movie that does what this movie does. And we'll get into specifics and spoilers, but this is really one of the best films of the year so far. I cannot recommend this enough. You know, I, last week I talked about you were never really here and how that's my favorite movie of the year so far, but I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't really recommend that movie to everyone. Cause it's so like kind of fucked up. Mm. Tully I would recommend to everyone. I think everyone should see this movie. It, it, it gives you a newfound appreciation for what it's like to be a parent in a really honest, like raw way that we don't get enough movies like this mm. movies that tell a story about motherhood and parenthood. Um, but don't make it like cute and like just flimsy and, and, mm-hmm. and, and callous like Tully or, um, Marlo is like you think that she'd be able to do it all you know in like like any other mom in any other movie who is able to balance everything Mm. like she isn't successful in balancing all of this and she has to go and seek the help of Tully like she has to just surrender herself and everything about this third child is just like such a burden on her like she can't even kiss the child goodnight Mm. There's, there's so many moments of just you feel how tired she is. You feel how exhausted she is every second of the day. There's some great montages in this movie of her just like going through the same routine day after day, night after night. Like this is just her life. It just revolves around this baby. Mm-hmm. You are put in the perspective of this character so well through the writing, through the directing, through Theron's performance. Like... We're men. We'll never know what this feels like to go through this. But this movie, like, really 
gives you the opportunity to sympathize. It, with yeah, what it, it makes it you sympathize be more like than to just, go through it. Yeah. I, I have felt uh, the woman's pain after yeah. watching. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, <laughs> it's kind of boring take, but I also agree with you guys. I do think that this is one of the best movies of the year. Um, I just found this movie to be extremely profound and like that. I really wasn't expecting it to affect me uh, the way that it did. And walking out of the movie, I actually felt like I was a little bit lower on it, but it's a movie that as I sit on it and the more that I think about it and how well written it is and how well performed it is, it really, I mean, we'll get into the specifics whenever we get into spoilers, but everything kind of, lines up for the most part pretty well i do still have some issues with this movie um a couple of scenes in particular but i also found um a couple of scenes i'll talk about in spoilers which i thought were truly excellent and that you watch i just wanted to after seeing this movie immediately go and rewatch it which is not yeah. something that i would have ever expected from a movie about motherhood yeah this this is a movie that kind of emotionally like blows you away um do you guys want to give ratings then get into spoilers I, I don't know. I love this movie. Like, I'd want to give it a nine, but if if we end up picking it apart, it would probably drop a little bit. But this movie just worked really well uh, for me. I'm going to give it a nine. I, I've picked it apart in my head a lot, and I know, it, like, whatever issues it may have, I just love this movie. It hit me, like, in a way that any critique can't really take away from that much. Like it just emotionally affected me really, really strongly. Yeah, everything about it just fucking works. I loved it. All right. Um, I'd give it an eight to an 8.5. Um, I still think that it was a great movie. Uh, there were just a couple of scenes in particular and maybe I think that I also, I think I wanted it to be a little bit longer. Um, I'll talk about, but the third act kind of, wraps things up really quickly. I think this movie would have benefited from being about 15 minutes long. Yeah, it's so. a tight 90. Yeah, it's very very tight 90. Which I, I mean, it I'm doesn't it doesn't ever feel long. Like you never feel the runtime at any point. But I almost feel like a couple of the themes could have been stretched out and kind of let okay. breathe a little bit more. So I'm I'm going to reiterate it. Please don't listen to the spoilers for this Colin, movie. Colin, please Colin, just don't do it. Just go wake see the up. movie. Wake up. Like, please, you know, this doesn't seem like it'd be the type of movie, but just just don't listen to this. Stop. What are you doing? All right. Men, Stop women, it. children. Stop the Stop parents, the podcast. Go, uh, go people watch with vasectomies. The go yeah. watch it. Go you've right now. You've had your uterus removed. Honestly, if you've had a vasectomy, watch this and you'll be so happy. Yeah. <laughs> you will be like, thank Christ. You'll be like, I'm a genius. Stop um, the podcast. Okay. Go watch Tully. Yeah. And then come okay. back and listen to us. Yeah. So let's. All yeah. right. So now that you went to see it, welcome back. And now we're going to get into spoilers for Tully. Um, Guys. What did you think about the twist in this movie? I know we, we, we saw it together, so we talked about it when we walked out of the theater. Mm. I I kind of called it when Tully first walked into the house and started like making herself at home. But then the movie just like, you get you sucked into about the it, movie. Because I, I had that same feeling. You feel. get taken on this ride, so, yeah, the twist, and you're still surprised. The twist is that Tully is not real and is in some capacity... A representation of Marlo's youthful spirit, like yeah, like youthful... an idealized version. Exactly, it's sort of like her past self, but it's also just a general, like youthful, uh, energetic. You know, like a friend she would have hung out with back when she was young. Um, and that's why thematically the movie is about abandoning your youthful spirit in favor of having a family, which requires routine to do in a healthy way. Yeah. And I thought that was the most beautiful theme of this movie was it's kind of embracing 
the beauty of like the mon- the mundane routine of doing the same thing every day yeah. because all these movies and everything in life it kind of reminded me of the uh, John Mulaney bit where he kind of talks about he's just like the whole thing about all songs now are like about like tonight is the night (laughs) he's just like i'm busy what about wednesday oh you're in dallas wednesday i I guess we won't talk to each other for eight months and it doesn't matter like that's kind of what it reminded me of is that like that's true to what being an adult is like is that you do fall into these patterns do the same thing every day well yeah that's the movie is a lot like an episode of television in that way where this the way that television works is it kind of instills these traditional values in us because every episode is a story that you know, one character or all the characters think they want something different, and then by the end, they decide they don't want something different, at least with traditional, like, they formatting. Re- of yeah, TV. they go back to square with episodic one. TV. Yeah, it ends where it started, yeah. and that's what this movie is like. Like, it gets way off base, and you think things are going completely different, and then by the end, it's like, no, 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 we should, we should just so uh, stick to the same thing. W- one of my biggest complaints about Young Adult is that there's a couple scenes, there's one in particular that sticks out in my head about characters like telling each other what their characters are Mm. like what they're Uh. like the dialogue just kind of spells out like this is what's wrong with you and totally that happens but it it actually works because of the fact that she's talking to herself yeah and that that goes back to what you were saying about me about you know wanting to go and watch this movie over again because you have all these exchanges between marlo and tully that Mm -hmm. are completely recontextualize yeah. when you know what the the truth of the yeah. of the situation and, is and and I do want to brag that I did see this twist coming <laughs> just because I never ever see the twist coming in anything cuz I usually get really lost in it but with this one I just I caught it in one moment and after that I knew it and it didn't ruin anything for me that's the thing that's another really that's a compliment to the movie because yeah. yeah. when that when it's actually revealed yeah. it's like not dramatic at all it's yeah, no. totally like offhanded um but yeah there's there's just a little moment where uh they're they're doing karaoke like marlo and her daughter doing karaoke and you can see uh it's right after the threesome scene which was just like insane where you know Tolly and marlo yeah. both fuck her husband um and they're kind of talking about it a little bit and he's like yeah we got the night nanny uh, you know, it's weird, and then it cuts off. But then I was thinking, well, what is he about to say to Mark Duplass? Is mm-hmm. he about to say, it's weird, I fucked her? No, <laughs> he's not going to say that. So he's about to say, I've never met this chick. Yeah. Um, and then it cuts over to Marlo, and Marlo seems a little fucked up. But that is a very subtle moment. Yeah, I, I was going to say, that was my favorite scene of the entire Call movie. Call me maybe. Um, yeah, um, and then... I, that I mean, right before that scene was my least favorite scene of the uh, the entire movie. The um, Tully twenty forty nine, as it's being <laughs> called by some, because of Mackenzie Davis's role. Mm. But there's something about that scene that's just I understand it gets recontextualized, but eventually, like there was a moment, and it didn't it didn't take me out of the movie. But it was one of those things where the first time I watched it, I was like, you know what? kind of fuck this movie like what is this even trying to say like yeah my my wife is like she's too like too babied out i can't even have sex with her anymore let me just fuck this young like night night nanny which i understand that is actually her but still watching it for the first time it's so jaw-dropping and like so like is she just cool with like her wife just her husband just like fucking some dude or some other uh like random young chick Don't like know, shame, bro it's it's played it's not played with like um 
I don't know, like it's not over sexualized. No, it's I like mean, a, it's, it's not. like a very low key moment that's not dwelled upon. It cuts off before it gets like any weirder. It's like just enough to for you to be like, what the fuck? Yeah. And then it's over. It's super- but it was it was something that still stuck in my head throughout the next couple of I scenes. thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. It I, made the movie like much more engaging it was, for me. It was really challenging. Like it was really jarring to monogamistic values, which I'm assuming we all kind of have just being members. Of- no. <laughs> yeah, no, okay. Um but yeah, it was it was jarring just because it completely defies every expectation of everything we're supposed to believe in. Um, and it also did have a bit of like, if I didn't know this movie was written by a woman, I would have had more of the same reaction. I would yeah. have been like, fuck this. But I knew it was written by Diablo Cody. So I was like, well, what am I going to kink shame? Like some, what if some wives <sighs> like that shit? Like, am I going to say, hey, you're wrong? No. And in, you know? in, in the previous scene when they were talking in the hot tub, uh, they were, she was saying like, we haven't had sex in months and yeah months i mean months, yeah so that was like, set up and you the whole time in the back of your head you're like what's going on is something gonna happen and then you're like oh my god it happened and then you know it just kind of moves on and you're like that just really happened and then eventually you just kind of you know it's just part of the well, movie it's it's set up not just in that scene but it's set up throughout the whole movie because tully is making herself at home like a little too much. Yeah, she just yeah. opens up the fridge, grabs yogurt, grabs alcohol, yeah. just knows well, and, where everything and is. And in that same way, the, the twist is kind of, uh, it's kind of so obvious, but also not because she comes in and she never talks to anyone yeah. until the sex scene. Um, and she just is like there. And so, yeah, like you said, so comfortable that you're like, this is, this is like Mary Poppins or some shit. Like, yeah. even though Mary Poppins is real, but you know what I mean? This but it like adds, magic. it adds that level of like cringe and discomfort to the movie that kind of, it kind of keeps you on edge. Yeah. You're kind of like waiting for this Tully character to just do something fucked up. Yeah. One of the things, um, the side, a couple side things that I really loved about this movie is one, um, that her son basically has like some kind of form of autism or something like that and it's never really addressed it's always just like a side thing he's just like oh he's just kind of quirky he's quirkier than yeah. the other kids he requires more attention like, fuck that but quirky like shit. so many other movies would have delved into like what it's like having these kids that has like mental or attention issues and like all this stuff and it's always kind of left in the background kind of like what she's dealing with where that's just another aspect of her life that she just kind of had to deal with without really taking care of it. Another thing that I love is that there's no real antagonist of this movie. Um, it's herself. I kind of thought it's that... Life. I really thought, like, going into this, I was expecting uh, Ron Livingston, that's his name, um, yeah, to, like, yeah. be, like, a cheating husband or yeah, something like that. Like, that's kind of what you're thinking. Yeah, it's but, going to be a little bit generic like that. But they but, even say, like, he is a good guy. He's just, he's doing his job he's and he busy, comes home. And he comes home and he's just trying to, like, unwind by just, like, playing video games and stuff. He's very much just, like, a normal guy in he's that kind of way. a boring dude. One thing um, I did think was funny, um, shout out to the Slash film cast, I think it was Devinger Hardware said it, that um, if... You can look at Breaking Bad and uh, view it as an indictment on the American healthcare system. Then you can look at Tully and view it as an indictment on the lack of people uh, recognizing leave. Uh, paternity leave. Yeah, because everybody's just like, "Oh, the woman just had a baby; like she gets leave." But fathers also need to be there to help support the family. Like yeah. when, especially if you have multiple kids, like that's not something that's not a task just for like one person to handle. And especially somebody who just had to yeah, birth the child. It's, it's an indictment on like 
the entire American system of everything. It's like an indictment on capitalism, basically. <laughs> yeah. If, like, if you th- really think about that, because then you're thinking, well, this is this movie is basically about how normal all this is and how it shouldn't be normal. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what makes the ending so bittersweet for me. Like, the movie kind of tries to end on this happy note, but you really get the sense that the filmmakers were going for a little bit more of a sad uh, oh yeah, sort it's, of downer tone. It's because, still yeah, super brutal. Because she she gets in this car accident, and like almost kills herself, in, you know, driving drunk and falling asleep at the wheel, and then you know her husband like goes up to her and grabs the headphone, and you get this shot when they're like, okay, we're together, we're a team, but it's like not really. Like he still yeah. has to go back to work. He's still there. There is no night nanny. Like there's still not going to be much problem solving happening here. It's not like everything's going to be okay Yeah, and now. I, that was another thing about this movie where I almost feel like I'm getting not the takeaway. While I do enjoy the takeaway that I had from it, which is like I never want to be a parent, I feel like that's not the message that the movie was trying to tell me. Yeah. I think that the movie was trying to be like, being a parent's hard, but you can work through it together. Well, yeah. Where I watch this movie, I'm like, I never want to have to deal with that my entire life. I'm never going to be ready for that, so I don't ever want to yeah, have kids. I mean, yeah, and it's also... This movie is also very much about substance abuse, which we have literally haven't even mentioned yet. But, yeah. I mean, the entire other aspect is that uh, Marlo is fucked up all the time, and yeah. that's how she's... Well, she's, she's sleep-deprived, and yeah, she's drinking. Yeah, and she's drinking, and that's how she's able to, like, you know, quote-unquote, handle all of life's difficulties all of a sudden and be like a super mom. But not only that, not only the, the substance abuse, but she is really struggling to cope with getting older and yeah. and and com- becoming a different person like there's this whole exchange that her and Tully have about how if you take all the planks off a ship and replace them one by one year after year with a different plank is that still the same ship and she's talking about herself it's like mm-hmm. you're look it's the it's two halves of the same person talking t- to each other and they're completely different people so it's this whole idea of marlo becoming a completely different person from her youth to her motherhood. She's not the same and she has to cope with that and she has to face that and she doesn't like it. And that's yeah. why she goes back to yeah, Brooklyn and yeah. tries to reconnect yeah, with her. That's exactly what herself. I Okay. Yeah. So I did, I love that scene, but that's what I was talking about, about I wanted like another 10, 15 minutes of that because the third act of this movie felt very rushed to me. It was very much Tully just being like, Hey, I have to go now. No, I really, I have to go now. And then the movie wraps up and like, 10 to 15 minutes from that point like it's very very short amount of time from when Tully says I can't be with you anymore to you get the reveal to the movies over well that's that's kind of I mean again it's herself so she's kind of telling herself like I need to let go and I get that I just wish that there was like we have the moment of um Marlo uh, riding the bike away in New York and trying to go to her old ho- her yeah. old apartment. And Which, everything. by the way, with that scene and like everything, like once I realized what the twist was going to be, the, all those scenes still work so well because it becomes a spirit guiding Marlo around mm-hmm. on the spiritual journey. And those scenes specifically is when I was like dead sure because they get to her old apartment and she's like, no, look, it's right there. Like they remodel, but it's still there. But if like when you, you listen to what uh, Charlie's Throne is saying, it's a hotel now. It's not even a loft yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like, and she's like, listen, man, we just, we've gone too far tonight on this journey. And it's like, whoa, the, you're the, a fucking ghost. Do you yeah. think she was actually, uh, milking into the toilet or was that also a hallucination oh no I, i'm sure i'm she was definitely milking in the okay, toilet. okay just checking i mean Didn't hopefully because i you know i got a little bit no. 
Okay, milk your pants a little bit. We there are a lot of a lot of nipple shots in this movie that just like drill down the idea of like this woman just being like so drained. Oh, I and mean, exhausted. I think like, they. I read that Charlize Theron put on fifty pounds or yeah. something for this role, which I mean, shout out to her. Like that's usually, just, that's how. There's nothing that's attractive about these exactly. like boobs that you see in this usually, movie. Usually <laughs> usually like nipples are like over sexualized in movies. Either it used to be sexualized or funny, like yeah. a, like a neighbor's gag. And in this one it's like, yo, like this is just part of like the hard mm. shit she has to deal with. And I mentioned it earlier, that montage of her like breastfeeding and like getting up night after night, that is amazing. Mm. And it calls back to again young adult. There's two great montages in that movie too. Jason Reitman, man, like he is a master at just giving you this unfiltered raw insight into the mundane aspects of life this yeah that's honestly the more i think about it this might be my favorite movie of the year um it's so good yeah like annihilation peaks harder but i also had bigger issues with it if i'm gonna have issues with this movie you're right hunter it's in the third act which is true of most movies for me it's a little rushed. My initial instinct coming out of the movie was that maybe they should have been a little harder on Tully, like because she just kind of gets off scot free, even though she drove drunk into a river. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was a little bit odd. Where like, and that was one of those scenes where I mean, we have these sh- beautiful shots that kind of remind you of Shape of Water, where you the see mermaid. the mermaid coming through and everything else, and then in the end you realize it's Mackenzie Davis and that's kind of like the aha moment to the audience. Like, yeah, Mackenzie Davis Tilly was never really there. Yeah, she's mythical. And I just wish that there was a little bit more. I am glad that we didn't get the, uh, the big moment between, uh, Marlo and her husband was short and to the point, which I liked while also still being heartfelt where he's just like, I should have realized, like, I thought that you were just feeling so much better, but you were sleep deprived yeah. to the point of yeah. delirium. And that's that's why I can't be mad about it for kind of not coming down super hard. Like, she didn't go to jail or anything, but this movie is coming down empathetic on mothers who are overwhelmed. And it's also coming down empathetic. It, this movie is seeing substance abuse as a disease, which it is. So they're not going to just show her, like, you know, fucking killing herself or something. Like, you know what I mean? And I think that there's redemption. It's good that the movie's not overly dramatic. That it doesn't like go too far into that and it still manages to tell like a fairly entertaining and, and heartwarming story um, because, you know, you're, you're saying that you, you wish those aspects would have been a little bit better if, if the third act had been a little bit more mm. drawn out. But I think we got just enough. We got just enough of that theme of the father and how the father needs to do his part. And I think there's enough there to take away a substantial chunk of that theme from the film and, and kind of think like, huh, maybe if we ever become fathers, like all we have to do is just try and to, just pay attention to be there and, and not just kind of check. It out. wasn't with Ron Livingston character that I necessarily wanted more of because um, he's written to be a very plain average human being. And he, plays it like a plain average human being so shouts out to him i do wish that him and mark duplass's character were switched just because yeah. <laughs> love me some duplass but um yeah, there's not enough of him not enough duplass biggest criticism <laughs> zero out of ten <laughs> um but i almost i if anything i wanted more like i said the new york scene of the scene of because we get these moments between marlo and telly throughout the entire film but 
the whole New York scene just felt very dreamlike, and I kind of love them just going to these bars and Marlo getting all dressed up and trying to. You have this. Cl- that's when it's most obvious the clash that you have of her being a mother of three kids while also still trying to bring out this inner child, and I just wanted that a little yeah. bit more. Of well, that. yeah. See, maybe the movie could have had since it was short anyway. Maybe it could have had another beat. Uh, before where everything goes wrong downtown where maybe everything goes right downtown mm-hmm. you know and then later on like just like 10 minutes later they're downtown again and it all goes wrong i mean i don't know about that because it was a bad idea to go there anyway. oh yeah i mean definitely but that she needed to be shown that you yeah. know so it could have i'm not saying it should have because i love this movie oh. i like the um the showing the passage of time driving to the city with like the oh my god that songs. was such a cool thing yeah. all of which are cindy lopper yeah but it, like, gives you kind of a perspective on how long they've been driving just on, like, they play through, like, eight Cindy Lauper songs that just kind of skip through and in that's, little moments. that's also a little bit of a callback to Young Adult because in Young Adult, sort of the same thing happens where she's driving to her hometown and she actually listens to the same song because she just has a cassette tape and she just keeps rewinding it over and over. So it's like the same song keeps playing. Um, and now that I'm thinking back to young adult she orders the same exact whiskey in both films that's funny really? the, uh, maker's mark it's a either jason reitman or diablo cody's favorite drink <laughs> or both yeah yeah any final thoughts on this guys no <laughs> <laughs> i love the very movie. short and sweet um i do i i i think i love the movie too i this is a movie that i don't know why um I wasn't higher on it immediately coming out of the film, but like talking with you guys more, reading more reviews, I am more into really listening to Jason Reitman talk about him and Diablo Cody's relationship. Um, just gave me, it was very insightful for me for not only like watching this movie individually, but also kind of looking at his entire filmography and the way that he works. Um, I found that very insightful. I'm I'm really curious to rewatch it, you know, knowing the twists and I'm curious to rewatch it. Like, decades from now if i ever have children and like uh, having a yeah. more uh hands-on perspective as to like what this is actually like so we should also say jason reitman has another movie coming out this year um it's called the front runner that's this year yeah it's coming oh. out 2018 um starring hugh jackman um it's about uh senator gary hart's presidential campaign in 1988 before it was like derailed by oh. scandalous love affair so completely different types of movies that he's making in the same year as each other but I mean, like I've said, I'm a huge Jason Reitman fan, so anything that he's going to do, yeah. I'm looking forward Honestly, to. Honestly, I'm more of a fan of Diablo Cody and um, Charlize, but I think that Reitman does bring a really cool filmmaking, well, I mean, directing talent to this. so much bigger of a catalog of stuff than uh, Diablo Cody was. I know I never have seen Labor Day or Men, Women, and Children, I've which heard were two other I've movies that they've great. done together. Yeah, but I haven't heard great things yeah. about that. All right, well, let's wrap it up, guys. Um, you can check out We Bought a Mic on social media at We Bought a Mic, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of that. Email us at We Bought a Mic at gmail.com and uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. Five stars only, bitch. Yeah, sorry. Or like four stars. I forgot to give a shout out to Colin. He left us a review. Oh, he said no. that uh, he awaits our episodes eagerly. Actually, sorry, not Colin. Kent. Oh, uh, so it's some yeah. anonymous listener yeah. that we don't know. Good, good. Yeah, <laughs> good, good to know that it's reaching random people. Uh, what about you guys? <laughs> um, I'm like on. To plug. 
I'm on Twitter and Letterbox at Hunt Mobley. Been doing lots of uh, tweets on. Uh oh. Oh, so you're playing me off stage then? Yeah, Jesus sorry, Christ. motherfucker. Well, now I'm gonna talk even longer. He asked man. you to say things, Oscar and then style. he was like, "No, shut <laughs> up." <laughs> so um. Yeah, on Twitter, Hunt Mobley. Um, I've been trying to look for new shows since Atlanta and Barry have wrapped up. Um, I know I've gotten some feedback about Killing Eve, but if you guys have any other uh, shows that you think that we is should that, check out. Is that BBC? Yep, BBC America. Okay. Um, so uh, hit me up on Twitter or just like comment on our page. Let us know what you want to hear us talking about. Yo, and I'm at Drew Dietzen, uh everywhere except Letterboxd. I'm at Drew D and don't talk to me and i'm at calderness on all the socials check out my letterbox been reviewing everything i've been watching and next week we got deadpool 2 oh, i'm kind of excited yeah and hunter will probably want to do a crack and crite or something but we probably won't oh <laughs> oh it's gonna be uh shout and scream factory oh it's not crack and crite it's cracking scream factory okay <laughs> come up with a better name in the next week all right well yeah we'll keep talking <laughs> westworld shit. and probably catch up on legion yeah, bye i'm going to bed later Special effects in my mind's eye